Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Odorico. We've got a great show for you tonight, the September 7th, uh, 2017. As always, we're going to start off here in just a moment or two with uh, another great uh, round of the Coaches, Coaches Corner panel. Excuse me. Uh, I've got a couple of great professionals on here, Pete Buchanan and James Kyle. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about them here in just a second. And then a little bit later on in the show, uh, on the second half, I'm going to be uh, interviewing a great guest. Uh, first time on the show, his name is Richard Lucas and he's the director of the PG, uh, PGA golf management program at Clemson University. He's going to be joining me on the second half of the show. Um, but I want to remind everybody uh, very quickly that if you're just tuning in live for the first time, uh, we are live every Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Best way to find us, of course, is go to blogtalkradio.com. Up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live, and uh, that will take you to the main page. And for some reason, if you can't join us live from 6 to 8 on Thursdays, not to worry. Just go to that link uh, any time after the show has been aired and just scroll down to the on-demand section and you can listen to the show in its entirety. And all of the previously aired shows, of course, are also there in the on-demand section. So just scroll through, and maybe there's a few that you've missed over time, and uh, maybe you want to hear one again. So uh, by all means, feel free to go to that link. Um, also, for those of you that maybe like to listen under a different platform, uh, you can go to either Stitcher.com or iTunes.com, and under the podcast section, again, just type in Golf Talk Live, and you can listen to the shows in their entirety there as well. So lots of options for you guys to do that. Um, but again, thank you and welcome to the show. Uh, if you want to call in or speak to any of the guests during the live broadcasts on Thursdays, you're welcome to do so. The number to call is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you're welcome to email me any questions or comments about the show uh, to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And for those of you that maybe are in the golf profession, you don't necessarily have to be a teaching professional or a golf coach. Maybe you're an entrepreneur or somebody that's written a great uh, book that uh, might help some of your fellow golfers out there. Uh, if you want to come on the show and maybe air uh, some of your uh, comments or, or maybe some of the, the uh, entrails of the book, uh, by all means, feel free to reach out to my email as well. And it's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Always update on social media, of course, on Facebook and on Twitter. My Twitter handle, of course, is Ted and Buck CEO. Uh, you can find also on Facebook, as I mentioned, under Golf Talk Live blog, or you can just get it off my personal page as well. Lots of great uh, options there. And also on LinkedIn.com, just search under my personal name, uh, Ted Odorico. And uh, as I said, we've got a great show tonight. We're going to be starting off uh, with Coach's Corner. Let me just uh, introduce the guys, and I'll bring them on here um, uh, as I finish up their intros. Uh, Pete Buchanan, of course, no slouch to the Coach's Corner panel. Been on here many, many times. Uh, certainly has fast grown to be one of my favorite uh, panelists on the show. Uh, he's the founder and director of instruction and owner of Plain Simple Golf, LLC, which houses 
the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And with over 30 years of experience, Pete has been simplifying his golf swing philosophy in an effort to make it simple for players like you to play this great game. And first time uh, on the panel, but not first time on the show, James Kyle. He's a PGA professional and owner of the James Kyle Golf Academy. Uh, He was also the 2014 West Central Chapter PGA Teacher of the Year and also the 2012 West Central Chapter PGA Junior Golf Leader of the Year and also received an honorable mention for the 2011 U.S. Kids Golf Top 50 Teacher. Guys, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, Ted. Good Thank to be you, here. Ted. Good to be here. All right. Thanks, uh, and, and welcome, James. Uh, again, I know this is the first time on the panel, but uh, you've been a guest on the show, and I'm glad that uh, you're throwing your hat in the ring, as they say, and, and going to join uh, uh, Pete tonight in, in uh, helping some of the great golfers out there that might be tuning in tonight. So um, we're going to get right into it. Pete, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you. Um, you what I said to the guys, uh, yeah, what I said to the guys off air, um, I'm going to do uh, what we did last week. Of course, I've changed up uh, some of the particulars here. Uh, last week, of course, uh, if you remember, folks uh, on the panel was John Decker and Clint Wright, and they actually uh, talked about a three-hole playing lesson, which is very common. Uh, some might even do a little bit longer playing lesson, but we, we decided to pick a three-hole playing lesson. Uh, a lot of coaches, a lot of teach professionals out there do a lot of this sort of thing with their students. It's a great way to help introduce them into the game and also uh, help them with their strategy. So tonight, guys, uh, your students are going to be uh, a 10 to 15 handicap. Last week it was uh, 10 to 25. Uh, we're going to scale it down a little bit, so there's only about a five-shot uh, discrepancy. So we've got about um, uh, five point rather, uh, 10 to 15 handicap. So that's the type of player uh, that you're dealing with. And Pete, we're going to start with you. We're going to start with a par four. Uh, last week we started with a par five. Uh, and here's a little bit about the hole. So if you need to take a quick note uh, while I read this out, uh, and then I'm going to get you to share your thoughts uh, on how this uh, will, will go. Um, the par four is 396 yards, uh, fairly straight hole. However, uh, the green is severely elevated and well protected with bunkers uh, front and even in the back. Uh, difficult to see the flag uh, on the second shot for most players. So what I want you to do is, is sort of given the lay of the land, fairly straight hole, as I mentioned, but uh, a severely elevated uh, green, uh, well protected by bunkers. I want you to sort of lay out a, strat- a strategy, if you will, uh, for your player to tackle this type of hole? What are some of the things that you would advise them and some of the things that uh, you might uh, have them guard against? Well, if we're looking at a green that's elevated, uh, first of all, and sort of a, a blind tee shot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at them off the tee and say, you know, based on what type of tee shot we're going to hit, what club do you want to hit into this green, and what do you feel is the best one to hit based on the conditions we're going to see. It's got bunkers. Um, it's elevated. We may not be able to see it. So do we want to come in with what type of lofted club are we looking at to get it in here? So we want to look at, you know, trying to place that tee shot relative to it and, you know, making sure that you're comfortable with the shot that you're going to be hitting into the green. So, you know, sort of playing at the green back to the fairway, back to the tee box per se, but looking at yeah. the overall basis of what we're doing, and trying to hit a tee shot that's going to give us the length of shot into the into the hole that um, you know will give us the best opportunity to to tackle you know the green situation that we're coming into. So that's kind of the way I would look at it. I mean, obviously, if, you know, if you got a ten handicapper, you know, I've known a lot of tens that can hit it a long way, but they're terrible around the green. Yep. So um, right, right. you know, it all depends on on you know exactly what they're doing. And I've seen it the opposite. I've seen some tens that can't hit it anywhere, but around the greens, they're a genius. 
So it really depends on, you know, each one and, and what they're comfortable doing off the tee. Um, and then, you know, as I said, trying to figure out what their best shot into that, that uh, secondary green is going to be. Yeah, well said. Um, the other thing, too, uh, you know, with, with the green being elevated like that, a lot of people have to also consider the fact that um, and making sure that they're taking enough loft because when you're hitting into an elevated green like that, um, regardless of what club you're using, it's going to actually appear um, when it gets to the green. It, what might be, let's say, a 9-iron might react the same way as a 7-iron once it gets to the green because it's going to be coming in a little bit, even though it's hitting up the same way as your 9-iron normally would because the green's elevated, it's going to come in on a little slightly different angle uh, once it gets to the green. So you want to make sure you factor that in as well. Uh, but great answer, Pete. And uh, folks, just so you know, that there, are no, yeah, there, there are no real right or wrong answers. Again, as Pete pointed out, um, there are um, a number of different uh, playing styles, as, as Pete uh, just mentioned. Uh, you might have a great hitter off the tee, but getting around the greens, uh, they might not be able to handle as well. So you have to factor all that in. And this is where really getting to know your students uh, is, is critical and important. Um, the other thing also as well um, that you want to make sure is that you gather as much information up front uh, about the particular hole that you're playing so you can make some informed decisions. And that's where your coach or teacher professional that's coming along with you on this, through this playing lesson is going to be able to give you some great advice. It's almost like kind of having a caddy with you, uh, if you will, uh, throughout the playing lesson. Um, James, you're up, and uh, I've got a little bit different situation for you. Uh, again, it's a par four, but uh, 436 yards, a little bit longer, with a slight dog laid to the right. Uh, tee shot is from, this time it's an elevated tee box, uh, with a 75-foot drop to the fairway, which slopes from right to left. Um, second shot is going to be an uneven lie, more than likely, uh, with the ball above the feet, because it is sloping right to left, making the second shot tricky for most. So, uh, again, as I said to Pete, lay out kind of a strategy. Um, so let me just very quickly breeze through it again. Par 4, 436 yards, dog leg to the right, tee shot from an elevated tee box with approximately 75-foot drop, down to the fairway, so you got a long ways down, um, so you're going to get a little bit extra carry. Uh, fairway slopes from right to left, so obviously shots, uh, especially for some of you right-handed players, uh, might uh, go out to the, uh, to the left. Uh, and second shot, again, is probably going to be unleaving with, uh, with the ball above your feet. So uh, it's going to be a tricky hole to play, um, but uh, give it your best, uh, James, and, and what, would you, uh, have, what kind of a discussion would you have with your student? Well, that discussion would certainly uh, detail, you know, what we're going to hit off the tee. Yeah. A par four that's playing 436 yards, dog leg right. Uh, even though it's downhill, you know, most players, let's say a 10 to 15 handicap, you know, they're probably hitting, you know, maybe say between 230 and 270, I would guess. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, driver. But, you know, instead of going for the green, and I would also, one of the things I would ask is, is what's the whole handicap, like on the scorecard? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking a hole that's 436 like this is probably a lower handicapped hole, uh, more difficult right. for all the players. So I'm honestly thinking that, you know, if I have maybe a 10, I might say, you know, we're hitting it down the left side, you know, but assuming, you know, even after a good drive, they're going to have, a shot, you know, definitely around 200 yards, maybe 180, so a, a mid mm -hmm. to, to a long iron in, right? And so I'm right. thinking even, you know, lots of the players, depending on, you know, what that whole handicap is, I'm actually considering laying up. Uh, 
Yeah. Because, you know, the percentage of them hitting the green with a mid to long iron is a smaller percentage. You know, they may end up in more trouble and having a higher score when if they were to maybe subtract 30 to 50 yards and actually on their second shot lay up a little short so they could hit a little half sandwich up there and have a better chance uh, at a par and possibly a bogey, you know, for their net score. Yep. And, and that's, and that's really what this this exercise, if you will, tonight is is and same with last week is really all about. It's about helping the players build a strategy. Um, you know, more often than not, you know, the players look at the um, the yardage and they look at the, the what the uh, traditional par is for the hole, and they say, well, I'm going to pull out my driver. And sometimes that might be applicable, um, but sometimes there might be a different strategy that's needed to to give your uh, your players an optimal chance at scoring the best possible score they can get considering their handicap. And this is why, you know, I think it's important for us to really sort of lay out some options for them um, to help them make informed decisions. So uh, again, what I said to Pete earlier, uh, James, and, and I'm saying to you, obviously you as well, is let's look at the whole hole as a strategy. Let's look at it, not just necessarily from the tee box to the green, but also from the green backwards. And I like what you said about, you know, instead of trying to go for and two, uh, maybe laying up and coming in with a short club. Um, and, you know, again, you might not necessarily make par. Uh, you might come away with the bogey, but that's still a good score considering uh, the level of handicap this player is and the difficulty uh, that they're going to be faced with uh, out on, the, on the, uh, that particular hole. So uh, great answer to you as well and, and uh, some, some great thoughts there. Um, Pete, I'm going to jump back to you. Uh, this is going to be a par three. And uh, just an FYI, guys, uh, not all of them, but some of these holes that we're talking about tonight are actual holes uh, of some courses that I know that I've played back home over the years. And uh, so that's why I wanted to throw them in here because I know exactly uh, what to expect. But, Pete, this one here is a par three, uh, pretty long par three. It's 215 yards, uh, mm-hmm. but it's got some challenges in itself not besides the length. Uh, it's got some teeth to it in the length. Uh, but this hole hugs a tree line and fence along the left side, which is OB. Uh, so very, very uh, close to that left side. Uh, there's water running uh, along the right side and in front of the green, so you've got some extra trouble there, and two deep pot bunkers front and back left. And just to give you an idea of the size of the green, uh, 30 feet deep and 60 feet wide, so there's a fair bit of green there to work with. Um, what's the strategy here, given the fact you've got OB on the left and you've got some, uh, some nasty water running the full length of the right side of the, uh, the hole and even coming up and skirting in front of the green. And then you've got some, uh, some bunkers as well. Well, you know, looking at this hole, it's, it's not too uh, un, uh, different from what James was just talking about. You know, how many times from 215 yards are they going to be able to hit the green based on, you know, yep. what we're looking at? Out of bounds left, uh, water right side, and, you know, um, deep bunkers. So, this may be something that, hey, why don't we just play something down in front of the green that gives us about a 30 or 40 yard pitch up there and, and let's take a three or four and get out of here. Um, you know, because sometimes trying to go for that particular one, especially the 15 handicapper, you know, at times that, you know, that might be a, you know, a, a straighter faced hybrid or a fairway would, you know, and again, you know, what are the, what are the, you know, how many times are they going to actually hit the green with that? So again, I think it's, you know, what is the best strategy for this player based on how they hit their shots to get away with a three or four on this hole? And for some of them, it may be, you know, not going for the green, laying up in front, yep. and, you know, avoid all the trouble, and then, you know, pitch it up on there 
and, and go from there. And, and also, too, I mean, as we talked about before, if you've got a guy that from 30 or 50 yards isn't very good, well, you say, you know what, let's go. Let's go for it. You know, you might have him go ahead and hit it all the way back there. Um, but it, it depends yep. on the player. But I think in this particular case, uh, I think a par three at 215 with, you know, OB left, the tree lines, and uh, with the water and bunkers, it's got to be a fairly difficult hole as well. So, again, I think, you know, 10 or 15, they get strokes. So, yeah, this may be another one where you just you play safely out in front and then pitch it up and see if you can, you know, get the par bogey and, and let's move on. Yeah, John had uh, – yeah, that, well said, Pete. Uh, John had a, a, a tricky hole last uh, week as well, uh, one of the, the par threes that we talked uh, on the panel discussion. And in his case, there was actually a bailout area to the right. Uh, he had water this time on the left uh, with some, some deep bunkers in front and uh, I believe a, a bunker in the back, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but there was sort of a, um, a fairly large green um, so there was obviously you could try to go for the center of the green. It was a shorter hole, of course, uh, but there was also a, a layup or a bailout area uh, to the right of the green, which sort of opened up. So, you know, there, there was a, a safe area that the players could hit to, um, especially for some of the higher handicappers. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of guys, uh, unfortunately, even when there's not a lot of trouble, uh, try to go what, what we often talk to in, in the industry as, as a pin seeker and think they've got to go for the pin or, or, or for a, a tight shot every single time, and that's not always a smart play. So, uh, again, you have to know the lay of the land. You have to get a, a good feel and understanding of, of what your limitations are. And as a teaching professional and, and or coach, uh, it's important that we sometimes push those limits a little bit to see what the, the level of, of uh, playability is for each of our players um, but then we have to make sure that they're making sound, smart decisions uh, when they're playing these holes because that could very easily, uh, instead of maybe being a par or even a bogey, uh, could turn into a double, triple, or even a quadruple um, very, very easily with as much trouble as there is, especially if they hit it out of bounds uh, right off Absolutely. the get-go. So, uh, great, yeah, great answer, Pete. And, uh, and, and again, folks, uh, for those of you just maybe tuning in a little bit late into the segment here, we're – uh, uh, Pete Buchanan and James Kyle, uh, some great professionals here on the panel discussion tonight. Uh, we're talking about a three-hole playing lesson. Um, you'll have to tune into the show to hear the first part uh, a little bit later, but um, we're talking about uh, uh, working with students that are averaging about a 10 to 15 handicap, and we're doing uh, just discussing some, some whole scenarios that, uh, that they might be faced with during a playing lesson, and uh, these two great gentlemen here are, are giving their thoughts and input as how they would advise and handle their students uh, during this option. And, and James, we're going to uh, come up to you. I've got a great par three, and this is actual par three. The yardage may be off, but this is pretty much um, a little while ago, of course, the Canadian Open uh, at Glen Abbey. Uh, this is one of the par threes uh, on the, I believe it's on the back nine, uh, 148 yards. The tee box is elevated with a 60-foot drop. Uh, a smallish mm. green protected by two green side bunkers uh, in front and a small creek running directly behind. I put the hole, but it's actually behind the, the green. So uh, obviously club selection is critical here as there are no room for error, uh, no bailout uh, areas. So you pretty much got to go for this, a short uh, par three, 148 yards, as I said, with an elevated tee box. Uh, so obviously you're going to get some air time. Um, what are your thoughts going into this hole and, and what are you going to talk, what conversation are you going to have with your student? Yeah, so, you know, a shorter hole, downhill, 148. Even though there's a creek in the back, you know, players, even in this handicap range, they, and I may be wrong in the percentage, but typically 75% of their shots, if they played, let's just say if they played the hole 10 times, uh, they're going to be short 7 out of 10 times. 
because they'll right. overestimate how much downhill it's playing. And so, you know, even with a downhill and even with a creek in the back, I'm going to get the real yardage. Like the real yardage on this green is probably playing 160. And that's, yep. I would call that, that's to the back edge. And then I would ask them, mm-hmm. all right, what club would you hit, you know, to the back edge? And, you know, the downhill is probably going to play that distance. So I'm really going to play the real yardage. So the 148 to the middle, or let's say the pin is in the mm-hmm. middle. Even yep. though it is downhill, I'm going to ask them to go ahead and play that club so that we're not short, uh, regardless of the fact that there is a creek in the back. Uh, I'm going to estimate that they can't hit it in the creek because that'll take a really, you know, a absolutely pure shot. And, you know, like I said, you know, as far as they end up short, you know, and it's not just maybe poor club selection, but they don't quite hit the shot as pure as they do uh, maybe one out of, or two out of ten times. Uh, so I'm going to assume that they're going to end up short, and I'm going to play it to the back edge. Yeah, and and uh, and that's a smart play. The other thing too that a lot of players, uh, James, and I'm sure you uh, and Pete would probably agree with this, um, might not factor in things like wind. Um, you know, quite often on the PGA Tour over the years, you know, we've seen similar shots uh, or similar holes like this where they're uh, hitting from uh, on a par three from an elevated tee. Uh, wind becomes a huge factor. Um, it's not always, uh, you know, going to be coming from your back. It might be coming into your face. So uh, that's a smart play, having them to play to, to that 160 yardage as opposed to 148, because even if they do fall a little bit short, they've got a little bit more drive uh, in their shot that uh, maybe worst case scenario, they might fall a little bit short still, um, but they're not going to balloon up in the air as easily because they're going to have to take a little bit uh, less lofted club to get to that 160 distance as opposed to 148. So, uh, that's a smart play as well. And, um, you know, you're really, uh, you know, the, the key thing that really w- was interesting about both of your comments on both holes was really you took the trouble out of play. And that's really what a lot of uh, your students really need to do is not to focus on the trouble, um, but focus on the area um, of where they want their shots to end up. So they're not sitting and thinking, well, OB on the left or uh, creek on the right or stream in the back or whatever, or two big bunkers. They're thinking about where do I want to position myself to give myself the best chance. Um, would you agree with that, guys? Absolutely. And, and, and this is something that I think a lot of players, uh, especially our higher handicap, you know, 10 to 15 handicaps, a, a pretty decent player, uh, still needs a little bit of work, but uh, uh, still a pretty decent player. But when you start getting up to 20 and 25 handicap players, uh, the, the real matter uh, of fact is it's not so much their ball striking ability that gets them into trouble, it's really their lack of course strategy. So um, taking the, the players and, and the level uh, ability, Pete, I'm going to start with you real quick, and then we're going to get into our last hole. Um, talk about really the importance of, of course strategy uh, for, for our 10 to 15 handicap. Why is that important um, as opposed to you know, focusing on just ball striking ability? One thing is you're starting to get into this level. Now there's some other things that, that come into play that they can look at. Uh, where are the fairway bunkers placed on the fairway relative to the tee? Um, you know, what's their typical ball flight shape, and where is the trouble based on that shape? Um, you know, taking their individual games and, you know, what are their best shots from the fairway? Uh, what clubs are they best with? Six, seven, eight, nine. What do they play the best uh, as, as far as hitting in the most confident, hitting into greens. And so you can start 
taken a strategy of, you know, placing the ball off the tee in the best possible position for them to use the best club that fits them, the best confidence to, to play it into the, the green on their next shot. And, you know, really looking at the overall aspect, I, I think too many times when you're looking at a golf hole, um, handicap players see the trouble and, and we always play away from it. And so, yes, like you just said before, I mean, all they can see on there is, just, oh, look at those bunkers and that out of bounds. And I'm saying, hey, look at that yep. big space on the fairway over there on the left. You know, so it's getting <laughs> them to understand, you know, something different and a different view at looking at each hole. And, you know, a lot of times I've gone in, I remember for some of my high school players, I'd go in and get the aerial photos of the golf course before they go play it. So I can see it and just go to Google and get the aerial of, of the golf course so I can see what they're up against and then have them build yep. a strategy based on what they see from above so they can actually see the mm-hmm. whole hole, see what's out there, see what the yardages are, where they're going to drive it. And then I said, if you're going to play your best game, what clubs are you hitting the best? And so where do you need to position yourself so that you can always play to the best clubs you're hitting into the green? So I think it's just an overall strategy of, of looking at each hole from a, uh, a not necessarily a, a safety issue, but looking at it from, you know, where's the, where's the best place to play this, you know, for you, Yes. Uh, you know, you're, you're a left to right player and uh, you know, all the troubles on the left. So we're not worried about that or you're a left to right player. And you know, your longest drive is going to end up in the fairway bunker on the right hand side. So why don't we hit a three wood or a hybrid so you can't get to it. And now we've totally taken that yes. bunker out of play and made a, a little bit longer fairway shot, but hey, we can play from the fairways a lot easier than we can from the hazards. So it's a matter of, you know, looking at the individual holes and just getting them to be aware of, you know, I always used to say just because the driver has a one on the bottom doesn't mean you have to hit it first all the time. You know, there are other ways you, right. can, you can go about, <laughs> you know, playing these holes. And sometimes, you know, it's better to, to, you know, take less off the tee for, you know, getting you into position. So, you know, you know, you play your best shots. I know for me, I was six, seven, and eight irons were the best for me in the greens when I was playing. So I always tried to drive it in the place I had one of those three in. Uh, that was that was yeah. my favorite ones to hit. So I think just having to look at the overall yeah. picture first and go from there. Yeah, I'm the same as you, Pete. That, those were my, my three uh, favorite clubs uh, to hit as well. And, and James, I think the other thing too is, um, you know, what, what happens for – uh, a, a lot of golfers, and this is where really having a, a great teach professional alongside can help. Um, you know, for our higher handicappers, when you start getting into the, those players that um, that are looking just to even break a hundred, you know, it becomes more about uh, making good quality shots um, and, and focusing on that uh, as much as the strategy. But once you start getting into ten to fifteen, and maybe a little bit less uh, of a handicap. More often than not, certainly not every case, but they are hitting some better shots. They have a little bit better ball uh, flight control than, than our, say, 25-plus handicap. So now it becomes more important to really focus more on strategy uh, than really about ball striking ability. So, um, you know, not to say that you don't want to focus on it at some point, but that's, I think, more of a concern for the um, coaches and teacher professionals is let's work more on strategy now that you're hitting the ball decent as opposed to the other way around when you've got working with a higher handicap uh, player. Uh, is that right in that uh, idea as well, do you think, or, or would you like to add something to it? No, that that's very much true. And, you know, like you mentioned, the higher handicap players, you know, all of the players, even even down to, you know, the single digit and zeros, 
they typically all are, you know, really aggressive approaching their target. And they're always yep. very mindful of their target. And the target, you know, let's just say it's the flag going to the green. And even whenever there's water around or bunkers, you know, and they're, say, 175 yards out, and it might be a, you know, even some 15 handicaps, you know, because not all the lower handicap players, 10 to 15, are hitting the ball that far. You know, the the average bogey player, uh, which is obviously a few strokes higher, they're more like an 18. Uh, the average right. is only a 210-yard tee shot. So yep. I find that all the players are going for the green, you know, with woods and, and hybrids. But at the end of the day, they are, they're extra focused on the target when they should be hitting for more the middle of the green. You know, they go for mm-hmm. tucked pins and they end up buried in the bunker or they're off the green. You know, they might have barely missed their target by five yards and now they're buried in the rough. And so I would say if the one thing I really focus on with players, I try to just get them to hit it to the middle of the green because then if they're yes. errant left or right or long uh, or short just by 10 yards, they're more likely around the edge of the green. You know, they're not in trouble. So I try to promote that the most. And then, of course, you know, where most players are short uh, approaching the greens, even with wedges. So even my mm-hmm. college players that I work with, I have them whenever they're getting the yardage, their job is to get the yardage to the back edge and, uh, and then work back from there instead of worrying about the middle or the front. And, you know, th- there's yeah. more success. They're hitting more greens as a result. You know, what's interesting guys is, is this, you know, the better players, especially when you're, you're getting upwards of maybe uh, collegiate players or even your tour players uh, that have, uh, great ball strike, uh, striking ability uh, are not going for the pin every time. And yet our high handicap players and, and uh, amateurs seem to feel that even though they're not hitting worth beans, that they should be going for the pin more often. And it's sort of, you, you would think it would be the opposite. Um, but the truth is when you look at most PGA tour players or LPGA players, they're not going for every pin. Um, they're playing strategy they're, Sometimes they may go for the center of the green. Sometimes they may even bail out if it's a, a difficult hole that they know there could be a high cost or penalty ratio. So they're looking at from a strategic, uh, because it can cost them not just money, but it can cost them uh, strokes, which ultimately will cost them money, but um, uh, could potentially cost them the tournament. So there's a lot of factors that they're involving. So they're uh, kind of doing the same things what we're talking about here is thinking more about strategy. Where's the safe place to play? What's going to give me or yield um, the highest return? Uh, look at it almost like an investment. If you're going to invest in something, you want to get the highest return possible on your investment and not uh, go into high-risk stocks or things like that. So, um, you know, for you amateur players out there, this is why we're talking about what we're talking about tonight is to give you a, a sort of a game plan and a sense and a feel um, to really look and examine each of the holes that we're talking about here uh, a little bit differently. So if you're faced with something similar out there, you're going to stop and think, okay, yeah, maybe I shouldn't uh, go for the green here, or maybe I should uh, lay up over here or whatever the circumstance may be. Put a little more thought into your uh, process before you step up to the tee box next time. Um, Pete, back to you uh, on our final hole each. Uh, this one has got some teeth in it. Uh, par five, uh, 575 yards. Uh, this is going to sound a little familiar. Uh, it's not exact, but it's going to sound very familiar. Uh, this is a dog leg left, water running the entire left side. Uh, could be an ocean. I'm not going to say whether it is or not. Uh, a large mature oak uh, safely anchors the right center of the fairway, approximately 300 <laughs> yards from the tee. Uh, tee shot has been placed just uh, has to be placed just so. 
uh, or the tree comes into play for the second shot. Uh, bunkers front and back of the green um, kind of sounds familiar. I, I don't want to say, you know, uh, West Coast, but it could be very similar. Um, <laughs> but a, a long hole and uh, certainly an interesting challenge. Let's talk about some strategy here. What, what are we looking at? Uh, obviously, we've got a big hazard to the left. We've got water. A uh, big body of water. We've got a tree out there that even though most of our uh, 10 handicappers, even 15 handicappers are not going to necessarily reach, uh, but it's going to come into play at some point. Uh, what, what's the strategy here? Well, I think in this one, you know, obviously the the positioning of the tee shot is is going to be a little bit important based on the, you know, the hazard to the left, but it doesn't have to be a long one because we're going to play this as a three-shot hole. There's, there's no reason to even look at a 575-yard par 5 for any of these players to think it's going to be hitting two. Um, so I would play it really safe off the tee to start with, you know, play something out there that they can hit maybe, you know, really safely 180, 190 yards out there um, that they can just put, you know, out into the fairway. And, you know, if, if you, you know, hit a second one like that, you know, even if you hit it 190 on the first one, you know, hit it 150 on the second one, I mean, you know, you're still looking at a pretty long ways out there. But, you know, I would still take it from from the initial standpoint of let's get it off the tee first and avoid, you know, any, any other penalties. Um, I've always said, you know, when, when you're going to play golf, if there's 14 tee shots, you want to make sure you only have 14. If you have 15, that means you hit one out of bounds, you had to hit another one. So you want to make sure or hit it mm-hmm. in the hazard. So I would get them off the tee first. And then let's look, you know, if we're 190 or 200 yards out, now let's look at position in the second shot, you know, it's still going to be a, a fairly long overall motion uh, of a hole, but, you know, it also depends on, you know, from this point, just trying to figure out, you know, those three shots, how can we definitely place it? I know the the instinct is always to take the driver out and go ahead and, you know, give it a big go. If they're a left or right player, Hey, maybe it's something they can do, but still you're looking at, you know, still getting into too much trouble off the tee. So I'd rather get them safely off the tee first. And now let's look from there. What are we going to do? We can still lay up a second shot, you know, that's that's going to be, you know, up there. And we're still looking at maybe a longer third. Even if you divided the hole by three, it's still, you know, if you hit it 193 times, you're on the green. But, yep. you know, I, I still would think, to me, my, my first go would be let's take let's take the tee shot. Let's get it out there safely in there. Let's play a, you know, now we got some room to really play a longer second shot. You know, we can maybe hit a fairway wood that we can, you know, have a little confidence in, get it up there. And uh, we're still looking at a fairly long third shot. But, you know, it's easy to take this hole, and, and I think you've, as, as we've seen before, uh, a par five that's got a little bit of teeth to it and, and make an easy eight, nine, or ten on it. Um, so oh, I, w- yeah. I would be inclined to just back off the, you know, the tee shot, not really thinking driver off the bat. I'd lay it back just a little bit to give myself some, some safety out of the fairway. You know, and if we back up far enough from that uh, crazy old tree on the right-hand side, we can still get over it um, and plenty of room to get around it. But um, – I would definitely just really, really look at it as a three-shot hole, but with more safety off the tee first. So that way they get yeah. started on the hole and they're not, uh, you know, you drive it off into the rocks and then, you know, there we go. I mean, so I just like to get them off the tee, you know, 200-yard <laughs> shot, get it into the fairway. You know, yeah, we might have to play a couple of longer ones from here, but, you know, once we get it up there after the second shot, we've got a pretty good uh, chance to get it up on that green from there. So. Uh, I think I would, right. I would right. like I said, just back up the safest, safest one first. Yeah, I agree. Well said. Uh, just a couple other quick points that I, I would probably think of or, or uh, consider as well. 
um, for especially some of our higher handicap players, but even in a 10 to 15 handicap player, uh, two things. Uh, you know, obviously we, we want to factor in the uh, shape uh, of, of the player shot traditionally. If, it's, uh, if they're more of a left to right, as you said, player, um, you might be able to gamble a little bit with your longer clubs, uh, whether it be the driver or even a fairway wood uh, or three wood, um, in order to get a, a good distance off the tee. And you're going to obviously open up into the fairway a little bit, but again, still having some shots. The other thing that um, I think that for for a lot of our, our higher handicap players, uh, and this really should be on any course, but particularly on this hole, um, and 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 I was surprised actually, Pete, that you didn't mention this, um, but let's let's move them up uh, in the tees. Uh, let's move them up a little bit uh, and even make it a little bit shorter uh, so that it's more realistic. Um, Five hundred and seventy-five yards is. <laughs> Uh, well, I said, hey, what was the strategy that you would do here? So you could have opened <laughs> oh, it up. I definitely would have moved but, them up. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was, you know, hey, you guys are stuck. you got to play this at 575. <laughs> no, always, always options, my friend. But you know what I'm All talking right. about. You know, this is something too. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just kidding you. But, um, but that is a, a viable option for for players to to have because, you know, even the best players, 575 yards is a long way. Even if the tour player is hitting it over 300 yards, they're still looking at, uh, you know, 270 uh, plus yards to the green. That's a long carry, uh, even for the tour players. So, um, yep. you know you have to be realistic and, and know your limitations. So uh, for, for the high handicappers out there, you know, when you're coming up to a beast like this, uh, you know, unless you're playing in, in some sort of a tournament that requires you to play a certain set of tees, heck, move it up, move it up one tee. But if you've got uh, most, most courses now usually have four or five sets of tees, heck, move it up to the ladies tee uh, if you have to, to, in order to give yourself a fighting chance. Um, don't try and play it from the tips or, or play it back. Um, far like that just because your buddies are doing it because you, uh, as, as you said Pete you're going to run into a six seven uh, eight uh, or worse uh, if you're not pulling off uh, the shots just so and you've got um, even though the fairway is fairly wide and, and probably receptive you've got a huge body of water on the left and then you're putting yourself potentially if you don't get uh, your tee shot just right uh, now you've got a, a huge uh, live oak uh, you know sport in the middle of the fairway that's going to come into play for your second shot so um, great uh, Great points there, Pete, and uh, I just wanted to throw those last ones in. Um, James, I've got an equally difficult par five for you, my friend, so we're not letting you off easy your first night on Coach's Corner panel. Uh, <laughs> this one's uh, for We never do, so uh, we, we've been kind of just coasting here for the first four or five years on the show, and uh, now we're getting into the more serious stuff. But anyways, uh, a 493-yard par five. Um, as I said, this hole has some challenges to say the least. Uh, the fairway has multiple slopes, uh, so it's a little bit different uh, on the left and right, making it, uh, again, an even lie off the tee uh, can be challenging. Uh, large fairway bunker sits 250 yards out, covering the left side of the fairway to the center, so it's a big fairway bunker, uh, but there is some options there, to, uh, to, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, green, once again, is slightly elevated, leaving its depth difficult to read, um, and I'm not going to give you... Um, uh, the yardage or the distance of uh, front and back of the green. So again, you have to sort of guess with that. Uh, and to add an even greater challenge, there's a large pond in front of the green. So uh, what are your thoughts on a hole like this? And no, not get back in the golf cart and go home. Uh, we got to play this <laughs> hole to finish out our round. What are your thoughts on that? And if I need to repeat anything, let me know. Well, no, no, I wrote it all down. That's good. 
so 493 straight away bunker at 250 which means to carry yep. the bunker you probably have to be more like 270 maybe 275 so in our 10 to 15 handicappers probably you know say 20% of them can carry it that far uh yep. so those the one the student that I would you know in the playing lesson that that I knew could at least fly 250. I, I, uh, you know, I might say go for it just for the fun of it. Uh, unless the bunker was really designed to be penalizing, uh, where, you know, going into the bunker, there's no way you could save par or even maybe save bogey. Uh, so I'd say some of the players I'm going for it. Uh, other players that I know are going to be shorter off the tee, we're just going to swing away. Uh, but planning, you know, if it's a fairway wood or a driver, that we're going to end up, you know, 20 to 30 yards short of it for sure. Uh, and knowing that, you know, we still have 260 in, uh, the better player who hit it farther, we're going for the green, uh, most yep. likely 220. Uh, but if they can hit it that far, they're probably able to hit a fairway wood, uh, 220 in the air, or at least 200 in the air to clear the pond uh, in order to, you know, because I'm now playing to go over the green for that player. Right. Uh Someone who's ending up short, I'm definitely laying up uh, from, say, 260. And then there's a pond short, so now I'm probably laying up to the 100. So their second shot is going to be a 160-yard shot so that their third shot, which is most likely a gap wedge or maybe pitching wedge, maybe a sand wedge, but probably not. Uh, they've got a high lofted club to a small green that we are – intending to end up towards the back of the green instead of the front. We're going to avoid that pond at all costs. So I guess, yep. you know, I'd go both ways with this one. You know, since that bunker is, it is far, uh, some of the players I'm saying, let's do it. Let's go all the way over it. Uh, and some of them I'm going to say, okay, we're going to end up short, and now we're playing it as a three-shot hole. But I, I might might take a little risk with this one, because even though there's a pond, I think there's a little opportunity for someone who has a little greater distance off the tee uh, to maybe, you know, even go for Eagle. It might be fun. Yeah, and, and both great options. A um, couple of things that I would also factor in and, and maybe consider a little bit. Um, I like the fact, uh, again, you're assessing the players' abilities right up from the get-go. So obviously you're stronger players that, that can probably carry the bunker or certainly come very close to carrying it. Uh, you're going to give them that option to, to, to go for it. The ones that you know haven't got a hope in heck uh, of even coming close, um, why run the risk? Um, one of the other options is, again, the, the bunker crosses the, the fairway from, from the left side, comes about, roughly about center. Um, I would also look and see what's to the right, how much fairway. Obviously, we know it's roughly the center, uh, but is there anything penalizing? Um, how deep is the rough? That sort of thing to the right-hand side um, so that they can maybe play to the right side of the fairway, giving them a little a better shot in as well. Um, the other thing, too, that um, that you want to be careful with, with some of your, your better players is even if they can hit a long way uh, and can clear the pond, uh, you've got to also keep in, in mind, too, that they're playing to a slightly elevated green. So um, coming in with a lower lofted club uh, could produce a little bit hot shot. And again, not knowing that the depth of the green, not really be able to see how much depth there is. Um, that's something they've got to factor in as well. So I like what Pete said earlier, too, about kind of getting some overview shots, if you will, of the hole so you can kind of right. see what's in behind 
Um, so there's a lot of things to factor in there, but those are uh, some great, uh, uh, great strategies on that whole. Um, I think that's uh, bang on for, for, um, for both types of players. And, and that's really guys what, what, you know, it's all about is uh, I know for yourselves, when you play, um, whether you've uh, played any sort of com- uh, competitive golf or, or just uh, even uh, just on the weekend uh, for, for fun uh, with your buddies, you know, we, we all try to, to put a little strategy in there and think about really what's going to give us the best options um, and, and options to uh, to play the hole. And, and, you know, even if you're just playing for fun, um, that's the time really um, to really work on a little bit of strategy. And uh, I'm going to give each of you just some closing thoughts and then I'm also let you, because um, believe it or not, we're, we've almost blown through this hour uh, fairly quickly. Um, but, uh, Pete, I'm going to, let you go first uh, on this just some closing thoughts uh, about a, a, a three-hole playing lesson um, what the players should should do to pre- in your mind to, to prepare for something like that uh, and what you do as a, as a coach or teach professional uh, to prepare for uh, taking your students is there things that you ask them is there a discussion that happens before you go out there to kind of get a, a last minute assessment of, of what you want to put together as a game plan and then James I'm going to have you do the same thing yep well, I always ask them, first of all, if I'm going to go out on a playing lesson with them, I will have them uh, do their homework first. I'll say, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to play 1, 2, 17, and 18, or 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, depending on what the configuration is. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at those holes. You've played them enough. You know what they're like. Think about a, a little bit of strategy that you would like to do and how you would want to play those holes. And then when we get out there, we'll discuss – what your strategy is, and then I'll sort of give you what my strategy is. Let's see how close we get those together on, on what we're doing. Um, a lot of times, you know, when you're looking at this level of handicap, 10 to 15, um, mm. and, and it's not a bad thing. They always think they're a little bit better than they actually are. So they'll try, um, right. they'll, they'll try a little bit more risk than um, uh, what they should. But I always ask them, okay, if you want to take the risk, what's the reward? So the reward has to far be a, a really great reward if you're going to take that risk. Otherwise, you're just going to end up, you know, adding to the total. So I really want them to to sort of do some homework first on those holes and just think about them. I said even if you just, you know, go home and, you know, before we go out and do this, just sit in the chair and think, okay, I got number one, number two, number seventeen, number eighteen. You know, how have I played these holes? What what do the holes look like? You know, how are the greens, the fairways? Uh, you know, already. Is there any water, bunkers, trees? You know, what are we trying to do? And, and let's look at, you know, our, how I normally play these and then from there try to develop a strategy. How could I play it better? And then we can together stand on the tee when we're starting off and say, okay, tell me what you're going to do on this hole. And then I'll tell you what I think you should do on this hole based on your ability and how you normally play. And let's see how close the two are together. And then let's uh, come up yeah. with a plan. If they're not close together, that uh, you and I can both agree with that would give you the best opportunity. You know, I've always told them too, you know, going back to the, you know, the 575 yard par five, uh, I always say to the players, as far as the length of a shot, a hole you're going to play, if a tour player came to your golf course and they're going to hit driver seven iron off the first hole, then you need to play a tee box where you can hit a driver and a seven iron. Yeah. So now you're going to figure out, you got to move up. If you want to make it realistic mm-hmm. as to how they play, if it's a driver and a seven for them, find a tee box where it's a driver and a seven for you. 
So that way you can at least give yourself a, a better chance looking at it from that standpoint. But I think for an overall strategy, um, I, I've always said, you know, the old show, leave it to Beaver. You know, when 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 yep. Beaver got in trouble, if he would have just fessed up when he was in trouble, it would have been okay. But when he got in trouble, he just kept getting in more trouble. And that's a lot like on the golf course. So I always say the time to make up for the trouble you're in is, is not now. You need to get out of the trouble first. Take your safety or, or play away from the trouble first so that you don't have to worry about it and keep getting into more trouble. You know, usually a, a double bogey is a bad shot followed by a dumb one. And so, you right. know, it's just you, you hit a bad shot and you lose focus and then you play a shot you really should never play. And uh, it ends up, you know, too above what you normally shoot. So, I just think from an overall standpoint, I think if they can really sit back and, and really look at the holes, you know, John Jacobs mm-hmm. used to do a great thing. He said, you know, as soon as I got done with a round of golf, you know, whether wherever I was staying, I'd sit in the chair and I'd just think back and I'd go through every hole and, and say, did I play that to where it really was the best possible way for me to play that hole? And I think it's a great way to look at it, whether you do it before or whether you do it after. I think it's a great backdrop for you to just look back at what you did and say, you know what? You know, I went for that uh, one par four, and I probably shouldn't have. And you know, I made a seven where I could have easily made a five. And so I think it's a it's a just an overall picture of the holes. Look at them, you know, develop a little bit of strategy for yourself. And and you know, it, we all do it. I mean, you know, we don't go out yep. there on, on those competitive rounds without a game plan. We always have a game plan. And so I think they need to do the same thing. Yeah, and I, and I like the fact that you also said that. Um, you know, let them sort of formulate a game plan for themselves and you're going to put something, uh, some thoughts and suggestions together and then kind of see uh, some commonalities between the two and, and, and then sort of, uh, sort of split the difference a little bit uh, as well. Um, great, uh, great answer. Uh, and James, you know, again, you know, we all try to, to do what we can to help our students to, to build confidence. One of the things too, I think um, that I would say is probably important, especially for the first time a student's ever going on a playing lesson, that you want to play holes that you know they're going to be comfortable with the first time out. You can certainly progressively maybe get them a little bit, uh, maybe the next time they come out for a playing lesson, maybe uh, you know throw a few curves in there just to, to get them challenged. But I think uh, to just give them a level of confidence the first time out I think is also important just to, to not overwhelm them the very first time they come out for a playing lesson. Uh, thoughts on that and then what you uh, – uh, try to do to uh, to help your students uh, gear up for a playing lesson. Yeah, so for me, I, I actually do a lot of playing lessons every week. And, of course, you know, you have to deal with players that are on the course already. So sometimes when you're going out there, you know, where you really want to go, sometimes you're not able to. But uh, with that right. said, I have a unique oh, – I shouldn't even call it unique, but my little way of doing a playing lesson, three holes, I try to do a par three, a par four, and a par five. And mm-hmm. I actually, I have the player play three balls. So it's like we're playing nine holes. And mm-hmm. the three balls, though, let's say it's a number one ball, two, and a three, they have to tee mm-hmm. off with a different club with each ball. So maybe, you know, oh, if, wow. if we start out on the uh, par three, let's say, at my course, I have a, a finishing nine uh, that is a par three, a par four, and a par five. So I go out there a lot and, you know, whenever nobody's there. And so on the par three, I actually make them play to the back edge, and then they have to hit one iron less to the middle, and then one iron less again to the front edge. And I make them play that way, three clubs, so that they, number one, they realize that, wow, I can actually be on the green with all three of these clubs, uh, even if it's a hybrid or or what have you. 
Uh, and on, and I do the same thing whenever I get to par fours, uh, three tee shots, you know, a driver fairway wood. And then if they have a, a third fairway wood, which, uh, would be fine, but, or like a long hybrid, like a three hybrid. And I make them actually, right. now we're going to play. And I ask them how, you know, now that you've hit driver, this is what you would normally hit, but now you've hit fairway wood. Are we still going for the green? And now you, and the third ball you've hit hybrid. And now are we laying up? Because, even though those three clubs ended up different yardages, you know, sometimes you miss hit the driver and it's actually, it's only traveled as far as the hybrid that's hit well. So yep. I make them play those different yardages in so that they're playing different and not just doing the, you know, hitting the same club. Uh, and I do the same thing on the par five uh, this way that the, again, they're playing different yardages. And again, whenever we're going to the green, once we have that shot to the green, our goal is to travel to the back edge always. Uh, I just find that so many players, you know, they calculate the yardage and with their lasers that everyone has now. And, you know, they say, oh, it's, it's 155. Right. And, and I said, okay, well, we're hitting to the west, which means that we're hitting into a sea breeze because where we live, you know, we have the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. So anytime you're hitting at the west, it, we're adding 10 yards. And then they don't realize that the shot is actually a couple degrees uphill. So now we're adding another five yep. yards. And now we have a 170-yard <laughs> shot instead of 155. But it's amazing even how many scratch players don't calculate that as well. So right. I spend a lot of time on, on those, you know, making sure that just because the laser says 155, it's most likely not playing 155. It's playing longer 99% of the time. And so uh, most of them, this, they just don't realize that. And they wonder why they end up short, you know, buried in that front bunker. And that's the reason why. Yeah. And, you know, and I like that strategy that, that you do, uh, James, as well. And, and it, it does a number of things, obviously, what you just talked about. But uh, it also shows them um, not only some different options, but also um, different results, uh, you know, in a given round, they might come up short on a green, so they need to know, okay, what are my options here? Or I might, uh, you know, not hit my drive as well, but I know I can get the same distance uh, with a with a hybrid or even a fairway wood. So it gives them a lot of different options to think about, but it also gives them a, a lot of um, uh, different situations that they can now, uh, on each of the holes, that they can figure, okay, if I get myself in this position, I know that I can, and then, you know, they can, they can proceed on uh, based on, on uh, what their options are, are at that particular time. So uh, I like the fact that you do that. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about last week, and, and I don't know whether you guys do this or not, um, and again, depending on the course that you're, you're working at the time um, and, and how, how busy it is uh, during that, that particular playing lesson, but, um, you know, one of the guys last week was faced with a situation where a player actually hit at OB uh, or potentially hit at OB, um, you know, did he make his player uh, hit a provisional? And, you know, obviously that may not always be an option because you've maybe got groups, you know, pushing from behind and you're trying not to hold things up. Um, but at least going through the motions and explaining that this is what would normally happen in a case like this, um, you know, would be required or, or what you would do. And, and the, because the truth be known, guys, a lot of people don't realize some of the process out in the golf course, how to handle themselves, and especially newer players, may not know they're supposed to hit a provisional or that they should be hitting right. a provisional. So these are, these are discussions that we need to be having with them as well, uh, as opposed to just club selection and what we think they should or shouldn't be hitting. They need to know how to react 
um, when they hit it out, out of bounds or when they hit it into a, a lateral water hazard or whatever the case may be. They need to know what the proper etiquette is uh, or proper way to handle it um, so that when they get faced um, you know, in those real-time situations later on down the road, they're going to be well-informed on how to handle those situations. Because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, like you said a moment ago, James, even some of the – when you were talking about the distance and that, uh, even some of the scratch players out there um, are looking at, you know, again – thinking they have one yardage when actuality it may be a different yardage. So, uh, you know, having all the information up front and, and having it uh, available and making informed decisions uh, is probably the best way that we can equip our players to get out there and have some fun. Not just, it's not all about ball striking. That's certainly an important component, but it's also making sure that they're well-informed and, and have a good strategy or plan in place uh, when they go out and play. Um, Guys, I want to thank you for coming on Coach's Corner, uh, particularly you, James. I know this is your first uh, panel. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thank you. And uh, look forward to having yeah, look forward to having you again uh, on some future panel discussions. And uh, we're going to get Buck Myers uh, to join us on some future ones as well. I'm going to send him the schedule tonight uh, after the show, so Great. hopefully he'll join in on a few as well. Um, Perfect. So, James, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, let uh, the folks know if they want to reach out to you, how they can get in touch with you, and, and anything else that you quickly uh, would like to, uh, to share with the audience. Okay. Uh, my website is jameskylegolfacademy.com. And in person, I am located, uh, I operate out of a club called East Lake Woodlands Country Club in Oldsmar, Florida, which is a great facility, 36 holes and a wonderful short game uh, practice area. And uh, also online, uh, everything's on my website. And uh, Ted, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. Perfect. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh and as they say, welcome to the club. Um, Pete, my good friend, uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, as I said in the beginning, certainly you have become one of my favorite uh, on the panelists. And um, I know we, we've had some great discussions over the last several years and always look forward to you coming in and, and adding your, uh, your thoughts and input into the panel discussions. Uh, uh, Pete, just remind everybody, I know probably most of them know off the top of their head, but how can the folks uh, reach out to you? Well, I appreciate that, Ted. It's always a pleasure to be on. Um, they can reach me at plainsimplegolf.com. That's P-L-A-N-E for the plane. Uh, my website's got all my contact information. I'm at a great uh, golf course and practice facility at the, the quarry at Crystal Springs in uh, the St. Louis area, actually Maryland Heights. Um, so it's a great place to come out and practice and play. Um, and, um, yeah, they can just uh, look through the website, uh, you know, face-to-face and online instruction. I do both. And, um as a matter of fact, I'm uh, as I told you, I'm on the road now to spend some time working with mm. the University of Missouri women's team today, and um, and playing a little fundraiser tomorrow. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff done online and uh, a lot of work that way. But uh, yeah, it's always it's always great to be on Ted. This is a great thing that you do for for the golf business and for all of us to to give us a little chance to come on and talk some strategy and and uh, help uh, all, all the fellow golfers out there to get better. So appreciate you having us. Well, I appreciate you guys, uh, as always, uh, giving of your time. I know it's not always easy uh, after a long day out in the golf course or in the practice tee and, and then having to come and, and do this for an hour or so. So I appreciate uh, you guys giving of your time. Uh, and just, uh, James, be safe, my friend. I know you're a little further north of, of some of the bad weather, but uh, uh, yep. just be on standby in case you need to, to, to bail and uh, keep That's up right. the great work. And I look forward to having you uh, having you back on the Coach's Corner panel. And Pete, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, so God bless, guys. Have a have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Thank, Thank you so Ted. much. Good night. All right. Good night.
All right, that was my very special guests, uh, Pete Buchanan and James Kyle on the Coach's Corner panel. Great jobs. Uh, guys just uh, hit it out of the park again this week. Uh, I gotta, I'm going to have to start making it tougher or something. I think these guys are just uh, uh, too good at what they're doing and uh, making it sound too easy. But uh, all kidding aside, you guys did a fantastic job. Thanks, uh, guys. All right, I'm going to be joined now by a very special guest here in just a moment, uh, Richard Lucas. He's the director of the PGA Golf Management Program at Clemson University. He's going to be joining me here in just a moment or two. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about him. Uh, he is, as I mentioned, he's the director of the uh, PGM program at Clemson University. He's received his Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration at Old Dominion University and his MBA at Virginia Commonwealth University. He currently uh, is working on his doctorate in career and technology uh, education. Uh, Richard has uh, over 20 years experience in the golf industry with extensive knowledge in management uh, of golf programs and its operations. And his positions in the golf industry have included uh, such uh, uh, positions as assistant professional, teaching coordinator, uh, head golf professional, and general manager at both public and private facilities. Uh, some of his career highlights include uh, scoring in the top 5% uh, in business school uh, one and two and uh, winning the Philadelphia Assistant Association Southern Championship. So um, I will bring him on as soon as he is ready. But uh, in the meantime, let me just remind everybody, of course, uh, we are live uh, every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 uh, for those of you on the East Coast. Uh, and uh, just uh, go to blogtalkradio.com and just type in Golf Talk Live up in the search key and that will take you to the uh, main page. And uh, you can just uh, see us front and center during the live broadcast. Or for some reason, if you can't join us during uh, its live uh, broadcast, you can just go to that uh, website link and just scroll down to the on-demand section and uh, you can uh, listen to the uh, shows in their entirety uh, as they're all uh, auto-recorded uh, during the live broadcast, so they're uh, made available for those of you that can't tune in live. Uh, you can listen when it's convenient for you. Uh, also, you can go to iTunes.com, or, or you can also go to Stitcher.com, and uh, you can listen to them there as well. Just type in Golf Talk Live uh, under the podcast section on each of those uh, media platforms, and you can listen to the uh, shows there as well. Um, just a, a quick reminder for, for the folks out there that might be um, in uh, harm's way. Of course, uh, it's been all over the news, so I'm sure most of you are aware now uh, that we've got another hurricane coming our way, uh, Hurricane Irma. Uh, just sort of the latest update, uh, according to some of the models, that it is uh, going to be coming into uh, Florida here in the next, uh, I think, 36 uh, to 48 hours. Uh, going to be hitting the tip of Florida in, around the Miami-Dade area. Uh, so they've already done a mandatory evacuation uh, has been underway, so uh, lots of folks uh, heading uh, away from uh, harm's way. Uh, and uh, the most recent model has it tracking up through uh, a good part of the state of Florida. I'm uh, fortunately up in the northwest part, uh, just about two hours east of Pensacola, so I'm out of most, uh, hopefully most of harm's way, but I'm going to be uh, hitting the trail tomorrow night uh, after work and getting out uh, a few hours away just to, to be on the safe side. But uh, for those of you that... Uh, you know, haven't uh, thought about it, you need to, to make preparations to, to get to a safe uh, area. Uh, it, it is going to be a uh, probably a Category 4, if not still a 5, uh, when it hits the Miami area. And uh, even by the time it gets up uh, to northern parts, it still could be uh, a pretty healthy Category 3. Uh, and also, as I mentioned last week, um, obviously there's still a lot of devastation from uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, a lot of the folks out in the uh, Texas area, of course, are, are trying to uh, dig out from, from that hurricane. Um, and some of you might be wanting to know how you can participate or how you can help. 
Um, and as I said, you've got to be diligent and, and careful where you uh, sort of allocate funds and things like that. There, unfortunately, during this time, uh, in addition to some great organizations, uh, there's also folks out there that, that can take advantage of you. So I always uh, suggest that you uh, reach out to some of your main uh, organizations like the Red Cross. So if you go to redcross.org, uh, uh, you can search on there and they'll give you uh, some great tips on how you can uh, become involved or maybe uh, allocate some funds to help uh, those in need. Uh, so do that. And in, in short of that, uh, certainly reach out to your local council or your local uh, government offices. They too uh, also have websites set up or, or areas that they can direct you to um, if you want to do that, just stay away from some of the social media sites that may be popping up through Facebook and Twitter and some of these other ones asking for uh, relief if they're not a reputable organization or if you're not familiar with them. Uh, again, do your due diligence. But our thoughts and prayers go out to not only the folks uh, in uh, the, uh, Texas that uh, have mustered through uh, Hurricane Harvey here over the last uh, week or so, uh, but for those that uh, are in line with this most recent hurricane, Irma, uh, be safe, be smart, and do what you can for those of you that are in a position to uh, to help folks. Uh, many people have reached out to a lot of uh, my friends and, and so forth that are, are going to be potentially in harm's way and, and offered some relief. So uh, uh, certainly um, feel free to take that up. Um, I've already read out the uh, the um, information about my uh, next guest, so I'm just going to bring him on. Uh, it's uh, Richard Lucas, excuse me, the director of the PGM a program at Clemson University. Of course, that's the PGA Golf Management Program. Uh, read out all of his uh, great points. So I'm going to bring him on and we'll uh, begin the discussion with my special guest tonight, Richard Lucas. Good evening, Richard. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. Okay. Well, thank you, Ted. I'm uh, super excited uh, for two reasons. I'm looking forward to uh, to having a great discussion, and of course, my good friend uh, Clint Wright, who I know you know uh, from the Carolinas, yeah. uh, actually helped me set this up. He said, "You, this is a man you want to speak to and have on your show." So I wanted to make sure that <laughs> okay. I did so, and and I'm looking forward to it. So I'm hoping he's, I'm sure he's listening tonight, but uh, if not, I'll, I'll make sure that he listens to the recorded version later. Um, okay. Richard, one of the things that I want to I want to uh, share with the audience uh, a little bit that may not be familiar uh, with the uh, PGA okay. Golf Management Programs. Uh, particularly what, what Clemson has to offer. So first off, let's talk about uh, what is a PGA uh, golf management program okay. to sort of give the parameters of what, what's involved in the program, and then we'll talk about how maybe those that are interested in getting into it, um, how they go about do that, what's, what are some of the requirements. So first off, let's lay it out. What is the PGA golf management program? What's it about? What's involved? And what are some of the things that uh, one can expect to, uh, uh, you know, to do while they're in the program? Okay, yeah. Uh, so PGA Golf Management Program, obviously, uh, we're one of 18 programs across the country, and you know, I'm a little older, so we didn't have these programs when I, when I was coming up. It's a pathway to PGA membership, so it used to be the old apprentice okay. route. I, I, you know, and Clint, I, if he's listening, he was like the first at Ferris State, but uh, we've grown the program <laughs> from Ferris State to 18 programs, so I, I know right. he's listening. So. Uh, and so we have one at Clemson, and, and what it does is you, students can come in, obviously get their bachelor's degree, but also they can complete the uh, the PGA requirements towards PGA membership. So you know they do all the work activities, they do all the exams, they do the PGA curriculum, they do 16 months of internship, and then they, you know they have to pass the planability to test. And so so combined with a bachelor's degree, and at Clemson it's kind of a combined recreation management and business management degree. And then they uh, also complete everything that the PGA requires, and they become PGA uh, members upon graduation. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, wow, yeah. give me a little yeah, – yeah, 
yeah, that that that's incredible, and I, and I like the fact that that you are offering that. Now, obviously, you mentioned it. There are other areas across the United States for for those that are maybe living in different states and things like that. Yeah, uh, how yeah, long has this been available? Programs across yeah. the country. Yeah. Right. How long has this been available at Clemson? When when did you first uh, have this program? Well, we started in two thousand one. I was I've been here since the inception of the program, so about sixteen years we've offered it. Oh wow! Wow, that's uh, that's great. Now. Um, for those that maybe aren't familiar with some of the PGA program, uh, what's in it? I mean, you, you, you mentioned some mm-hmm. of it, but can you be a little bit more specific? For those that maybe aren't familiar okay. with it, maybe have an yeah. interest, what, what are some of the things that they're going to be doing? What exactly are okay. they going to be doing in the program, and how long is the program running? Okay, so here's what they're going to be doing, and it's really kind of fun. I, I really like it a lot because obviously you come to get a bachelor's degree. It's a liberal arts education that we get and get general education requirements. But for a lot of students, it's a connection between earning a business degree and also getting into business. So there's a a vocational part of it, and it makes that connection for students. So what can they expect? Well, you're going to take courses in managing a golf course. You're going to take courses in teaching the game of golf. And that's really kind of cool. So my job is, so, you know, I was a general manager of a golf club, so my student takes financial accounting, right? That's what you have to take a business degree. So what I do is I take that financial accounting and say, here's how it applies to a golf facility. And so, right. so that's really kind of cool. And, and so they kind of say, okay, you know, you see debits and credits. Well, what does all this mean? So I bring out a, a financial statement, a balance sheet, an income statement. Here's what it looks like at a golf course. And this is what you're going to be doing someday. So it kind of breathes life into that accounting course. And of course, you know, they're going to take courses in management, human resources. Okay. Here's what that looks like. And here's how you organize a golf business. And then of course, on the other side of it, I teach, we have three other courses on how do you teach golf? And so, I mean, how much fun do I have? So I will teach accounting (laughs) and then I'm on the lesson teach, teaching them how to teach golf. Okay. You know, I was a director of instruction. So, okay. uh, How do you start somebody who's never touched a club, doesn't know anything about golf and okay, let's, let's teach them how to play golf. Go. So I get to do that class right. too, and, and I do it, and of course the other professors are jealous, so I'm out on the lesson tee teaching the course and then in the classroom, so I, you know, they're awful jealous. But anyway, the, the professors can be jealous of me. I don't care. So anyway, I'm a golf yeah. pro. <laughs> that's right. You're, <laughs> having, you're having fun. That's so it's, great... a, it's a pretty cool job. I have a lot of fun. And uh, so what the students can expect is, you know, some intense courses on how to teach the game and how to manage the game of golf. And then, you know, we we take it from there. And between the 16 months of internship, they're ready to go when they graduate. Yeah. And and that's fantastic. And and I like that, you know, that that they're getting a broad spectrum. A a question I would have is, and obviously I'm sure Uh you had to have had some examples of this, especially since you're getting some uh, folks that may be coming in that maybe have never played golf or are not that familiar with it. Um, obviously mm-hmm. you may have some, some students that are maybe very mm-hmm. proficient on the business side, but maybe not mm-hmm. so on the teaching or vice versa. How mm-hmm. do you, you right, know, right. what do you do in a case like that? Let's take the first one first. Let's talk about the business okay. side. Maybe they're very strong, mm-hmm. uh, academically that way, but maybe not so mm-hmm. much on the teaching side. How do you, how do you curtail that? Okay. Well, first of all, you have to have an eight handicap le- or less to get in the program. So uh, okay. almost a 100%, yeah. So almost 100% of my students played high school golf. Okay, so they're pretty good players okay. coming in. My average handicap is four. So, but as you know, just because you know and you're a pretty good golfer doesn't mean you can teach the game. And so, you know, right. as, a, as a teaching pro myself, yeah, we got to start from square one. Okay, so we do the teaching triangle: what to teach, how to teach, and when to teach it. So the sequencing part. Okay, so we'll start with the basics and say, okay, 
All right. Uh, so first of all, we start with okay, what do you teach? We teach the fundamentals uh, of the golf swing. So the law, the you know, <laughs> the laws of the principles of the golf swing, five ball flight laws, and what are these key fundamentals of the golf swing, swing principles. So the old laws, principles, and preferences. We start there, and then we build on it and say, okay. All right, so now you have a foundation of what to teach, but how do you teach it? So what does a lesson look like, and how do you deliver it? So we've got that pretty much down, but then uh, I teach lessons in front of them. So it's a pretty cool class. So what I do is I say, okay, I'm going to teach a golf lesson. Somebody's never played golf before, and if I don't get them hit in the air and you know, and, and get them better, well, then you probably want to drop me as an instructor. So I put myself out there. So uh, so I'll teach four or five right. lessons in front of them, and they get to Q&A me and say, Rick, well, why did you change the grip? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? So, I mean, right. I love that class. And so – uh, so that's what we do, and uh, you know, hey, how do you learn how to? It, it's experiential. So obviously, we can do the book work. Okay, here's the fundamentals. Read this, read that, read the mental side of the game, read you know the biomechanics, uh, get into the flight scope and the track man. We do track man you, and so they have a foundation of the technology. But at the end of the day, you got to teach golf lessons. So they do work activities in conjunction with the tech, the class, and guess what? I watch them teach and critique it. There you go. So they get the feedback and say, okay, here's how you can improve, how you can get better. So uh, so it's a combination of really hands-on. You're going to teach a golf lesson and do the book works. And so between the two of it, uh, you know, yeah, you're a four handicap, but guess what? Teach a golf lesson. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, and that's, so you get out there and do yeah, it. And that's, right, and that's the thing is, you know, I mean, anybody – you know, especially if they're book smart, can get in there. And but when you get into the practical side of it and have to get out there and actually give the lesson and put a lesson plan together, uh, it, it's not always that easy. And you're right. I, I like the fact that you All have right. a good mixture of, of everything. So there, and that Absolutely. makes them better, well-rounded. Um, you, you made an interesting yep. uh, comment uh, about some of the uh, equipment that they might be facing, whether it be TrackMan or mm-hmm. FlightScope and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. sort of rolls into the next uh, part of the some of the golf industry, some of the current issues. Um, one right. of the concerns that's happened over the last decade or so is sort of the implementation of a lot of technology. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know whether yeah. you go down at all to the PGA show or not, but it's just technology uh, driven here for the booth. last. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, yes, but I a do. lot of the pros are starting to realize that th- there needs to be a balance. Um, there's been a lot of technology, some of it great, some of mm-hmm. it eh, yep. you know, not so great. Um, right. What are your thoughts on technology, and how do you – and we'll use your students as, as sort of guinea pigs. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. make sure that they find a happy balance, that they don't get too technology-driven mm-hmm. and get too absorbed up right. in the numbers and things like that and still stick with the principles of teaching? How many hours do you have? Okay, so that's a whole lecture on that. I'll <laughs> do several lectures on that in the classroom. So, yeah, it, oh, absolutely. Uh, okay, so we start with Mike Malaska, who has a great YouTube video in finding that balance. Look, I love the science. Uh, I love the biomechanics, but you're teaching a human being. And so at the end of the day, there's a human factor involved in all this. So it's a, you know, I give a whole lecture on this, and I, I start with Mike Malaska. He gives the balance. You know, Mike will honestly tell you, say, look, I love the track, man, the body track, and I got involved. And I, I didn't get better as a teacher. So understand the science. Understand the biomechanics. Yep. Understand TrackMan. It's great information, but at the end of the day, you're teaching a human being. You've got to make them a better golfer, and so we talk about that, and we say, look, 
you see the numbers, you look at the numbers, and you see what it says, but all the numbers can get kind of confusing because you're teaching this person that maybe doesn't understand the numbers, but here's the thing, is we don't want to produce students that use the technology as a crutch for bad teaching, and that can happen. You know, right. you can whiz-bang yeah. the student, you can look at all the numbers, hey, I got track, man, and, and in fact, you're not a very good teacher. You know, you're relying on the technology to kind of whiz-bang and, wow, look at this, ain't I cool? Well, you know what? Is that student hitting the ball better? And that's what you have to get them doing. And so, yeah, absolutely. So we like the numbers, but we tell them, look, the track man and all that, it's just a tool. That's all it is, yes. you know, it, but they, you've got to get that student better at playing golf. And so it's interesting. I go on internships and I talk to the Dale Kestners and all the teachers. What did they have them read? Well, uh, maybe Seymour Dunn, uh, maybe uh, Sam Snead, maybe – so that's what they're telling. Say, so look, you got to get them to feel the golf swing. So let's not throw that out the yep. window. Let's use the technology where appropriate. But wait half a minute. We we need to swing a golf club, and we need to get them to how to to how how do they feel the golf swing? Uh, you know, the computer isn't going to tell them that. You know, so yeah, we have to drive that balance, and I drive that home very, very, very much. And I've got several YouTube videos. You know, all the great instruction say look these guys understand the balance of it they'll use the technology or appropriate but a beginning golfer or somebody shooting 100 they really don't need yeah. it there's a few things you can do to make them a whole lot better but at the high level when you're teaching a one handicap then it really comes into focus because they understand the technology understand the numbers and and then you can really help them with it yeah and, and well said and and you know one of the things that i think that really has happened uh, and it's starting to uh, you're starting to see a little bit of a trend in the teaching side of mm -hmm. things now and going back the other way right. but for a long time you know even a lot of the coaches got caught up in the numbers and through the you know the excitement mm -hmm. and the hyperbole if you will right and thought well this is great and but yep. then when they're trying to translate that to the student the students you know as I always say their eyes are rolling in the back of their head like a slot machine because they don't know what the yep. heck you're talking about and exactly. you know it, it's ex exciting and fun and, you know, I had a, a great teacher professional was on uh, the show a few years back, and we were talking about this very topic. And, you know, in the discussion, we said, you know, what do you do as a coach uh, if the power mm -hmm. goes out or the batteries die in your technology? Mm -hmm. If right. you're relying solely on that technology and you've got nothing else to back it up. I mean, that's a, that's a real – I mean, seriously, if you think about it, that's yeah. a real possibility. Yeah. Power goes out. You know, storms happen. Power yeah. goes out. Then what do you do? So, you know, you have yeah. to have some basics and, and, as you said, the fundamentals in that. Um, what about else in the, in the industry that have mm -hmm. you seen? Uh, let's talk about some of the mm -hmm. things that you like that you've seen and maybe talk about some other things that you don't like uh, that are currently mm -hmm. happening in the golf industry. Oh, boy. Okay, so very broad <laughs> there. I would try to narrow it down a little bit. Okay, yeah, so what are, sure. what are the things that – well, let's start with, with you know, kind of the name, what we don't see. Uh, well, gee, uh, we're not growing, you know, and so we need to grow right. the game. And, and so the things we do, we got to face the fact we're a time crunch society. Uh, you know, you look, you, you, we've done all the surveys and, you know, why aren't you playing more golf? Well, it's time and time and money comes up. Uh, but it's it's the change of the families, it's the change of our of society and so forth. And it's not not what I like seeing golf, but I think I've had this conversation with Clinton. Clinton is very blunt. He says, "Well, Rick, are we managing the game correctly? Man, we need to take right. a look at ourselves. And we're you know, so what are we doing to get more people in the game? And are we doing it?" <sighs> I don't know. You know, uh, I I I you know I hear about you know the PJ Junior League. It's it's pretty good, but you know I I. 
I don't think we're doing all we can to manage the game, uh, the way to grow the game correctly, and we're trying to figure all this out. A lot of great ideas, well, this and that, and those are great discussions I love to have with Clint. But, uh, hey, you know, uh, it's a great game. It's a lot of fun. And, and how can we grow it and make it better and, and reach out to people who haven't played the game or people who are interested in the game? But here's the bottom line. Here's what I don't like seeing. So we have, what, what three million golfers coming. We do pretty good, you know, junior golf and three million people come in the game. Four million leave. Why are they leaving? Yeah. Well, we've got to survey them and connect with them. But the other thing is, too, and what's really puzzled me, and I don't quite <laughs> understand why the amateur and the professor, why don't these bodies, why don't we work together? For instance, lapsed golfers, the four million that leave, it's probably yes. a core golfer or somebody's not playing. Why don't we get the database from the Carolina's amateur body and say, okay, give us that. You have all these people who've had handicaps. We're the ones that didn't sign up for handicaps next year. Give it to the golf courses. Let's email them. Say, hey. Why did you leave? Hey, here's, yep. a, here's a series of free golf lessons. We need to give you – so we need more call operation at that level. And uh, But then again, the golf facilities themselves, uh, you know, are we reaching out? Are we – and here's what I find. So you, you ask the average golf facility, how many emails do you have of the golfers who play your facility? Huh? Yep. How many emails yep. do you have? Huh? <laughs> oh, well, okay. Right. So let me go, let me go and I go you know I have I, I get a sub at at Mike Subway so I have a sub there it's right down the road oh my goodness I swipe my card mm-hmm. yeah get a discount oh Rick we I get an email from Mike's to come back again what golf course does yep. that there's a few of them do the right, Roy Casper Golf's the Golf Man there's a few that do that seems to me if I purchase something at a golf course I should get an email thanks for coming wow we lo- we love you we just you know what can we do for you you love the game here's some guys. How many golf courses are doing that? So we got to get better. You know, the idea that we build a golf course and they're come, they're over. We've got to market and be just like everybody else. I mean, if I can go to a subway shop and get more connection to them than my local golf course, something's wrong. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because you're exactly right. I, I think there's a few things. No, number one, um, what we talked about a few minutes ago with the technology, I think, has scared a lot of people away, too. I think there was too much technology that was sort of rammed down mm-hmm. those tunes, and out of frustration, you've got a handful of, mm-hmm. of, of folks that have left for that reason. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. there's an aging population of golfers that, you know, that maybe just don't right. have the time or, or uh, whatever, the ability anymore. And, and you know, they're not going to mm-hmm. break 100 anymore, so they just figured, well, you know what, right. I'm going to give up. Um, and and right. uh, time is a big one as well. Um, not just mm-hmm. so much time going to the golf course, but family obligations that take away some of that time that they once had, maybe to go out and play golf. They've got other obligations, whether it be health or, or children or what have you, that they've got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're sure. right. The, the lack of marketing to the general public um, stinks in the golf industry. Um, right. You know, they're spending billions of dollars marketing to um you know golfers about the latest and greatest driver that's coming out in the market mm-hmm. um yeah you know all kinds of things technology um but they're not sending a nice email or a nice note saying hey thanks for coming you know last week and taking that lesson or what have you and there are certainly a lot of pros doing that but the courses should be more engaged and you're right a lot of them have that that open door policy that well we're here um you know come and play but they're not doing anything to reach out to the communities to get Absolutely them encouraged right. to come mean, out. Yeah, exactly. So a bowling true? alley. So yeah, that's true. I mean, a bowling yeah. alley. So you open up a bowling alley. How did they survive? Leagues. 
I mean, I don't understand. So a golf course there, but we have tee times. Is anybody come? Heck no. You've got to do leagues. I mean, you've got to, you've got to do something to get people to the golf course. Now, some people will sign up for a tee time, but a bowling alley doesn't – you don't open up a bowling alley and say, okay, we're open. No. What do they do? Right. They survive on leagues. And so, you know, PGA Junior League's hit, but we need adult leagues. We need to reach out. Uh, so I don't understand why golf professionals don't hang around bowling out and say, hey, well, I would play golf. We have the league golf there. You might get somebody. So, you know, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm being a little silly here, but when you think about it, when no. you think about it, I mean, what about league golf for adults? Now, the reason I say that is there are obviously some clubs doing that, but I remember doing that when I was a golf professional. You know, the, the old Black and Decker plant that was next to the golf, and we say, hey, why don't we do a Wednesday league for your employees? How many golf courses are doing yes. it? I would say almost none. Why don't you go to your local right. corporation that's nearby to you and say, hey, what? Hey, we'll do a league for you three days. Right? How many of your employees play golf? Well, not many. Well, guess what? We'll get you playing golf. How many do you have? We have 300 employees. All of you come. We'll teach you the game, yeah. and we'll have a league for you. Let's have some fun. Do it. Yeah. You know, it so, yeah, yeah and, 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 and we got to do that kind of marketing. Yeah, they, you've got to be creative, and you're exactly right. And and just to touch on the junior aspect in that, there's a lot of great mm-hmm. junior programs all across the country and right. even around the world. Um, but in, in all, all honesty, a lot of them are mm-hmm. feeder programs into whether it be collegiate or even into yeah. um, you know golf yeah. out on tour, which is fantastic. You need to have those too, but not everybody's yeah. going to be a tour player or not everybody's going to have nope. the ability to play collegiate golf. Um, they just want to go out right. and have fun. So one of the, one of the yep. things that I've always thought, much to what you just talked about in leagues, is look at hockey, for instance. Hockey has, you know, the professional right. level, but they also have what they call house leagues, which is just, you know, your bare mm-hmm. bones, just sort of basic, but it's for everybody to play, um, where they can be right. some competitive golf and, and whether it be a league mm-hmm. or what have you. Um, but you're right. They need to do more of things like that in the communities, reaching out to corporations, as you said, and, and not just corporate events, but corporate leagues. Get their employees engaged. Right. You know, happy employees are happy workers. So um, right. they need to get creative. You know, creative. Um, yeah. You're exactly right. I think we're on the same page there. Uh, I want to talk about something okay. else too that that you uh, sent okay. over, um, and this is kind of exciting and very interesting. Uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about the Black Girls Golf Organization. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit yeah. about it first off, what it is, okay. and uh, when did it sort of uh, get fired up, and and then we'll we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so we started uh, Black Girls Golf here at Clemson, but this is the brainchild of Tiffany Fitzgerald. So I was at the PGA show. She came to our booth, and uh, we subsequently met and talked about it, and she fired off an email to me and said, hey, I've been with this organization, Black Girls Golf. And and so uh, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. What's Black Girls Golf? So I called her. And I talked to her about it. She, I said, what's Black Girls Golf? What is all this? And she said, you know, tell me about it. She said, well, I was in corporate America, uh, and uh, obviously she's black female. And uh, I right. kind of, you know, was in corporate America, and I understand, you know, I kind of listened at the water cooler talk, and all the guys are talking about golf. And they're kind of networking. She's like, well, you know, I kind of feel left out. I'll take up golf. So she took up golf. And she's like, wow. And, and now she felt part of the group. So she could talk the talk and get in with the corporation, play golf with the guys. And she says, like, you know what? Golf is a great networking opportunity. So when you look at the exactly. informal networks in a corporation, golf brings that. And she's like, mm-hmm. she got inspired. She's like, well, you know, so Tiffany being black, she goes to the golf course. She's like, God, nobody looks like me. She's like, I need to do something. So she started Black Girls Golf Organization to help 
female, obviously, black women who are in corporate America learn how to play golf so they can get into those informal networks, play in the corporate outing or the employee, and get involved in it. Don't, you know, don't kind of sit back. And so she started the organization. She has 3,000 women and in different countries who are wow. obviously uh, African-American women who are interested in playing golf. Sure. So I learned all this. I was Tiffany, what's going on? This is kind of cool and all that. And I was like, so we got to talking. I met her in Atlanta. It was the organization. Is, and we talked about it. I said, well, Tiffany, I have little to no uh, diversity in my program. I bet all these women have daughters. She said, well, they have. No, of course they do. And I said, okay, let's do this thing. All right, so we do a summer scholars program where they get to test out Clemson for a week if they're interested in golf management. I'll bet some of them are high school golfers. Let's get them to Clemson. She said, let's do it. So we started Black Girls Golf Summer Scholars Program. So the interesting thing about it, and as you know, in in most of all our PGM programs, we have hardly any diversity whatsoever. So we had 25 students come on campus who are high school golfers interested in golf. Most of them were black. Wow. How about that? So we reversed it. So, you know, in all of our programs, we may have one or two African-American students, female students. Again, female, you know, in PGA, let's get more females involved. Well, they're a minority in terms of regardless of of skin color, trying to get more females into the golf profession and being golf professionals. So – uh, so this was encouraging, and so we just partnered together. She's she's the brains behind the whole thing. I just partnered with her, and and she's done a fantastic job, and she's helped me uh, bringing some diversity to my program. And so it's very exciting. We had a great time, and uh, so you know our goal is to be you know to get uh, obviously they're ninth and tenth graders to get them here at Clemson. So mm-hmm. that's what we're working on. So to become golf professionals. So that's great. You know, and and that just really goes to the point you talked about a few minutes ago, and that is, you know, here's somebody that found um, a void and filled a need by creating an organization. Um, And and this is really what, what, um, you know, the industry as a whole needs to start doing. Um, You know, I mean, the LPGA, don't get me wrong, the LPGA does a fantastic job in in helping to grow the game, but they're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit because the rest of the industry isn't really doing enough to help. I mean, when you look at the, the right. percentages compared to uh, male uh, teacher professionals compared to female, t- yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's exactly. very, you know, a, a oh, tilted scale. And I understand, oh. you, you know, it's been predominantly a male sport. But uh, sure. again, the information that needs to go out there through the golf industry is not so much a technology driven, but a people driven uh, and getting people exactly. excited because th- there's a young lady, you know, Tiffany's realized, hey, it's not just about a, yeah. a, a fun and interesting game, but it's a, an opportunity for business, for people that are you know, executives yes. or, or, or even small mm-hmm. business owners that want to expand their business to getting involved with their clients. And you know, from a business yep. standpoint, you bet. where else can you have your client's attention for a few hours um, other course. than the golf course? Most sales yeah. calls are lucky if they're 20 minutes long, maybe 30 minutes if you're doing a, a presentation – um, but you can have them for as little as an hour, two hours, or three or even four mm-hmm. hours, depending on what you want to do. And there's all kinds of options that you can have uh, for clients or organizations such as, uh, as what Tiffany's running. Mm-hmm. Uh, just on a quick side yes. note before I forget, yeah. uh, I would love, yeah. and maybe you can shoot me something after the program or, or the next day or so, uh, I would love to reach out to Tiffany, maybe have her come on as a guest at some point in the show. And, and if you want to come back with her yeah. and maybe and talk to her, I think yeah. it would be a great no, idea we'll to uh, – Oh, absolutely. She's fantastic. Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, I would love that. Now, um, yeah. in addition to that, um, the scholar programs, Nat, 
um, mm-hmm. your students are going to be involved in the teaching uh, yes. aspect of it as well. Tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that. How's that going to work? All right. So we started Black Girls Golf Summer Scholars to get, you know, obviously, the female African-American students in our program to be golf professionals, but we just took it to the next level. So we said, okay, this is pretty cool. What about the black students, female students on campus? Hmm. Okay. So we do a player development. Obviously, part of the curriculum is do a player development program. So we started Black Girls Golf University. We just got it approved. By the way, we're a university, official university program at Clemson. It's called Black Girls Golf. And so what we're going to do is my PGM students, uh, we're going to teach all of the females, many who want to join, uh, the female African-American mm-hmm. students, if they want to join the organization, reach out to learn how to play golf. So when they graduate, it doesn't matter. You're an engineer? Okay. Well, so we'll help you in your engineering career, and if you want to go work for Ping, uh, you'll know something about golf. You can interview for the job. If you're a business student, right. we'll teach you how to play golf, and then when you go into your business career, you can network and be comfortable around golf. And so uh, we just started the program. We're doing it this semester. Obviously, this is the partnership with Tiffany, and it's her brainchild, and, right. and so we're we're just – Hey, Tiffany, use us. We'll teach the, all of these uh, female students uh, how to play golf. And so we call it, we call it Black Girls Golf University. We're a club organization. And so all of the female African-American students on campus who want to learn how to play golf will teach you how to play golf and help you with your career. And so uh, we're, we're growing the game. So they're going to get, you know, they're going to love golf, I hope. <laughs> we'll hopefully do a good job teaching yep. them. And so uh, we're going to use Clint. <laughs> we're going out the Woodhaven. So we got the perfect idea. We got a yeah, yeah. Clint's listening. Clint, guess what? We're coming. And so we're going to go to. He he loves it. He loves it. Oh heck, he's all about it. So we'll go out to Woodhaven. Uh, we'll go through the par three course that he's got out there, and uh, we'll teach these 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 young ladies how to play golf, have a lot of fun, grow the game. Get them involved in golf and uh, kind of kind of go from there. So and, and of course Tiffany's helping us. And uh, so what we're trying to do is do it at our university and then uh, do it across universities uh, uh, across the country. So we'll start here. And there's some other universities that already reached out. They've kind of gotten the win. What are you guys doing? We're doing Black Coast Golf University. You yep. can do this too. So so we'll grow it and uh, uh, go from there. Wow, what a, what a great model too. I mean. Uh, you know, obviously you're you're doing this at your university now, but to already have before mm-hmm. really you you've gotten your 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 feet wet, you've already had other universities mm-hmm. uh, take an interest in it. So yeah. you know, obviously they see the yeah. potential uh, for that. They that's fantastic. Like, wow, and this is really what something like this. That's cool. Yeah, and, and and that's really what it's all about. And this is this is how you're really going to grow the game. Um, you know, one of the things that yeah. disturbed me a little bit, and I, and I don't want to jump off topic here, but for just a second, but mm-hmm. uh, right. you know, it, over the last few years. One of the ways that, that for some reason, the industry and their infamous wisdom decided, well, we're going to have great discounted golf rounds, uh, and all of these Uh organizations, Golf Now and others, came out and just Uh, slashed prices like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Yeah, that's another and, lecture. You know, they yeah. come in. Well, we're we're gonna, yeah, I know, we're gonna grow the game, and we're gonna get people out to your golf course, and it did to a certain degree. But it ended up putting a lot of them out of business because they, their bottom line fell literally out at the bottom. Right. Um, you know, so they, they've, you know, as we said earlier, they, they've got to be more creative. And, and I like some of the, the initiatives that you're taking with, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously mm-hmm. the Tiffany is brought to the table. Um, is there anything right. else that, that you see uh, currently in the mm-hmm. industry right now that maybe you'd like to see change uh, or uh, mm-hmm. improved upon? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's do the third party keys. Well, I, 
golf now is fine. You just have to write the contract correctly, the barter system and all that. So there's a way yeah. to do it, a way not to do it. And so, uh, interesting right. enough, I met uh, Sydney Mack. She is a lawyer in Atlanta. She happens to be black also, but uh, I met her, and she came in and gave a lecture. She actually writes the contracts for golfer. That's her specialty, writing contracts for golf now. And uh, she played at Howard. She's a very good golfer. Her her sister, Mackenzie, who is a very good golfer, too, she, she helped me teach my summer scholars and uh, obviously, they have a very interesting black girls golf. They're both black females uh, uh, themselves and, sure. and, and terrific golfers. And so they've helped me greatly. But Sydney's great. I mean, she says, look, here's how you have to write that contract. So, uh, yeah, So, but golf courses need to understand it, it can't be cheaper on golf now. You're ruining your rack rate and you're discounting your fees. And so what the idea was it's incremental revenue, but it's not in terms of you look at the yield. So you have to be really – uh, smart about this because if you offer a discounted tee time with Golf Now, you're, you you say, well, it's incremental revenue. Well, wait half a minute, but maybe what you did is you took the golfer's playing rack rate and go ahead and use that rate. And what you've done is you've made your golfers a discounted golfer, and so you're lose actually losing revenue, losing total revenue. So we go through that in class. Obviously, that's a great class extra exercise, and we we do that in the classroom to determine yield at a golf course, what will barter, and how much is it are you going to lose if you barter it. You got to write the contract correctly and. Of course, Sydney did a great job. She's a lawyer, and she, that's what she does. Yep. That's her specialty, and she gave us a great lecture. How do you write that contract? So the golf course, that does want to get on golf now. Now, I'm not saying that it can't be good. It can, but you just have to write the contract correctly so to make sure that it is incremental revenue and that you're adding to your bottom line. But here's the key. It's not just the incremental revenue. It's the database. So if you yep. book a time on Golf Now, you're a Golf Now customer, not a customer of your golf course, but wait half a minute, they're paying your golf course. That's the big issue. Whose database is it? So you've got to make sure that everybody that books a tee time at your golf course is now your customer and it's now your database. So it goes beyond just incremental revenue and yield. Sure. It is the information you need to make sure that you, as if somebody books a tee time via an online system, well, you want their email. And you don't want to be your customer, not Golf Now's customer. So that's the big issue. But anyway, that that's I can go into a yeah. whole that's a whole that's a whole two hour lecture we go through in class and golf operations. Yeah. But, but, but uh, they, we may have to. Yeah, I may have to have you. golf operators. Then, yeah. So that's what we do. So obviously, so that's what they learn. Yeah. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, how I do you make sure to... you protect your website and what website should you have and and how do you protect your rack rate? Yeah, I may have to have you back on the show, Richard. We'll have that uh, as a separate mm-hmm. discussion because you're right. That that could go on for, for a couple of hours. Yeah, let's talk a, about pro shops. discussion. We can do that. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yep. Um, let's talk about pro shops. I mean, I, I know this is something, obviously, you, you, I'm sure you talk about in your program as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, traditionally, obviously, pro shops, you know, you carried uh, mm-hmm. some incidentals. You had, you know, your tees right. uh, if you need be or an extra sleeve or two of balls mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but also right. they got into to some of the other uh, equipment and things like that. With a lot mm-hmm. of the competition that out, is out there, is it mm-hmm. smart for a, a course to be expanding, um, mm-hmm. considering the competition that's out there now, or mm-hmm. right. uh, should they maybe do away with the pro shop, uh, not entirely, but maybe uh, re- reorganize it and think a little bit differently? Because they're competing against some big box stores that sell right. equipment sure. now. Um, and they can sell it a lot cheaper. Right, exactly. And I know that they've had their struggles too, but uh, is this something that courses need to rethink their business model on on that area as well? 
Of course they do. They need to rethink again another lecture. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so it's a lot of fun. <laughs> These are the conversations we have in the classroom. Absolutely, and the students love. We love this. So it's like, okay, what should we do? Is it unreasonable to partner with Dicks? Okay, so really we have these discussions. We're like, okay, what should we do? I said, we're a public golf course. We're struggling. We're getting three dollars around the golf shop. Let's give up. Well, wait a minute. So where are they going? They're going to Dicks, right? To get their equipment cheaper. Uh, or okay, so let's partner with them. All right, so let's do this. Say, Dix, okay, you now own my pro shop, but wait half a minute. So everybody comes to Dix, you promote my golf course. So there's ways to do it. So you can do a partnership, yeah. or I don't think you should give up. No, you need <clears throat> a pro shop. Uh, you know, and of course the private clubs are doing. You've got the. I mean, if you, I was just at Baltusrol visiting my students interning there, well, they're doing just fine in the pro shop. That Baltusrol label does pretty well. But your average golf course out there, what can he do? Well, sure. no, don't give up. Now, so you have to look at equipment and teaching actually you know when i think about it golf pro if they're smart can have the advantage because they sell equipment and all that now obviously the margins have gone down but you're selling equipment you're improving golf games and so you're building your reputation you come to get the equipment there and what you do as a golf professional now you don't stock sets or anything you stock demos and then you sell off the demos and and do that so you can still do that right I think you can still sell the golf goods, you know, the soft goods, and you got to have balls and gloves and all that. But, yes, the competition's been out there. And so if I'm next to a Dix or whatever, I'm going to just partner with them. And it, for, for me, so if you're yep. running a golf course, and you play, what's the bottom line? It's green fees. So if Dix yep. – so let's say that Dix sells to one of your customers or whatever, and you send them over there and say, hey, I don't <clears> have this product. Dix has it. Dix has it. We're a partner with them. Or if they go into Dick's and you, they sell a product and they say, hey, by the way, the golf course down the road, just to let you know, they've got some coupons there. You might want to go play there and try that driver. So there's ways to do it. Yeah. You have to be creative. Yeah, cro- and so here's the yeah, thing. Cross is, marketing. You've got to a golf course. Yeah, cross-marketing and golf course. And, and a golf shop, be honest, now is an ancillary income. What do you want? You want members and you want green space. So you know, if you don't make the yeah. great margin on the golf shop – but don't give on it. Partner, be creative, and use the golf shop to drive rounds. And so that's what you have to do. It's being creative and cross-marketing. So these are great discussions in yeah. the classroom. So it's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, I think discussions that um, that really the industry has to have. And I know that they, they come out with, like you said earlier, they come out with their stats, and they come out with all of this information mm-hmm. and that. But then they don't do anything with it. Um, you right. know, they report it, and they say, well, by the way, this is, you know, this is why the numbers over mm-hmm. here are dropping. But then they come out with mm-hmm. sort of half-baked ideas, and they don't really mm-hmm. – you know, it's kind of – it reminds me of, of a large corporation that, um, you know, everybody at the top sort of making the decisions, but they're not asking the frontline people. And I think they really need to yeah. be more engaging, uh, and not just with the superstars that are in the teaching end or the players or the, on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour. Mm-hmm. They need to be talking mm-hmm. with a lot of the frontline people, um, both LPGA and PGA and, and other organizations as well, and saying, you know, mm-hmm. what's some of the feedback, what's some of the, you know, the comments that you're mm-hmm. – getting and then mm-hmm. take a, a mm-hmm. better look at things instead of just sort of saying well we mm-hmm. think we should do this and then it trickles down to everybody else and we're left to clean up the mess mm-hmm. and that's unfortunately what happens with a lot of industries it does. but has really happened with the with the golf industry it happens um, with golf so what's, you know Ted it, it yeah, yeah go ahead I'm sorry <laughs> no no I was just gonna I'm no just no gonna, you're go absolutely ahead, uh, right I agree please. to 100 you know so I go to the PGA show who's the person that's going to speak Jack Nicklaus well I yeah. don't get me wrong I love Jack Nicklaus and he'll talk about the golf industry Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, why do why don't they talk to Tiffany? 
Okay, so that's yeah. the that's the thing. So you know, Tiffany's got three thousand black women who want to play golf. Shouldn't she be featured at the golf show and talking to the golf channel about golf? I mean, yes. don't get me wrong, I love Jack Nicholas, <clears throat> but the heartbeat of the golf business. Okay, right. and I'm not knocking Jack. I mean, he's terrific. I mean, don't, no, don't get I know me wrong, exactly. No, you're you know, exactly you know right. the person. Yeah, it's the celebrity <clears throat> who gets up there. It's the the tour play and all that. Well, what do you think of golf? I'd rather to listen to Tiffany. <laughs> I'm at the. I'm where well, the rubber meets the road. You're exactly I'd rather right. listen to Clint. I'd rather listen to Clint Wright, who's running the par three golf course. Quite <laughs> honestly, Clint, if you're listening, because we have great um, bias. But anyway, but no, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. What about the person where the rubber meets the road, who's is doing the lesson and yeah. he, and he doesn't have a track man, but he's teaching golf, trying to go the game, and he just went to the bowling alley to see if there's any golfers over there. That's the person I want to talk to. And so we need to talk to those folks too. And it's great to talk to Jack Nichols. Don't get me wrong; he he knows a lot too. But anyway, you, I, I get your point. Yeah, and and it, and it's great. I you know I, I'm the same as you. I love to hear to, to hear Jack, and enjoyed watching him over the years. And I know he has a lot of great uh, insight and input uh, into the game still. Absolutely. But you're right. There's sure. A lot of you know we, we're trying to tap into uh, another generation, if you will, and they need to to be relatable to um, that generation. One of the other problems I think that the industry has, has battled against, and that is the perception of golf as a general. And I'm not talking about the, the, mm-hmm. the stereotypical, well, you know, it was a, uh, you know, a, a white man's sport or it was this mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, male-dominant, whatever, rich man, that type of thing. Uh, but one of the other issues is the only exposure that most people get is tour players. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, they see all these on mm-hmm. TV. They see all these tour players, and the first thing that goes in mind is, "Well, I'm mm-hmm. never going to be that good," or "I, I can't. Yeah. I'm never going to yeah. be able to be able to." And so, right away, they're kind of, you know, looking at um, sort of a, the higher echelon or the top one percent of the golf uh, elite, and mm-hmm. already they're they're kind of behind the eight ball because they they're not relatable. So, you know, we need to see more people like you said like Tiffany and others that are mm-hmm. up and comers that are starting in the industry that are trying to grow the game mm-hmm. um and I hate to use mm-hmm. this term but a, more of a grassroots level than the, the right. guys that are making 20 million dollars or 50 million dollars a year in endorsements and playing on the PGA or mm-hmm. LPGA tour. I mean, they're important too and they play a role. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah, absolutely. also and this is one of the reasons why I do the show that I do uh, on Thursday nights mm-hmm. is to give a lot of those folks a voice, um, you know, because this yeah. is broadcast worldwide. I get people from all over the globe that tune into the show every week. And yeah. that's one of the reasons why I get people like Clint and I get people like yourself that have something mm-hmm. to share that can let the folks mm-hmm. know that it's not just tour players out there. There's other folks in this industry as well that are doing things that are doing some great things. And that's what it's really all about is sharing that uh, information and that uh, knowledge uh, with everybody else out there, mm-hmm. and not just uh, you know how how well somebody played in an event last week, um, and that's something right. too that's been a disappointment with the with the golf channel. I mean, I love watching some things on the golf channel, but it has predominantly been a tour driven yeah. network. Yeah. Now yeah. Um, you don't see a lot I of things are getting and, better and I, though, but we'll see. Yeah, they're really starting to come back. But uh, you know, I'll give you a good example. You know, um, whether you like him or not, one of the folks that mm-hmm. I used to enjoy watching when it first came mm-hmm. on was Peter Kessler. You know, he had a nice sit-down yeah. interview, uh, the yeah. fireplace, you know, cracking in the background, yeah. and, and he felt like voice. he was in the, in the room with him. <laughs> right, exactly. That's right. <laughs> I got to get, I gotta get Peter I on the show. Yeah. But, it, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? But but there was that sort of an intimate sort of setting with, with even some of the best players in the world. You just felt like you were right there with them. But now, 
it, it's become a, um, you know, almost like an ESPN sports desk. And it's just mm-hmm. not, and even yeah. some of the, the um, uh, you know, I, I like Michael Breed and I like some of the others folks that are on Michael's there, but terrific. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, you know, he's a great guy. There's no ifs, ands, and buts, but mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of other folks out there in the golf industry that you never see on there. Um, yeah. You don't see any of the discussion. It's become <sighs> a corporate machine and that's the yeah. downside, uh, you know, that, that hurts the mm-hmm. industry is uh, again, mm-hmm. it has that taint of untouchability um, that resonates mm-hmm. out there. Um, you've got some great stuff going on at Clemson, and you guys had a big win this past mm-hmm. week in, in the SEC, so uh, you got to be uh, on a high with that. Cause I'm talking about football. Okay. Of well, yeah, of course. We, 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 we love a little football here, so we're doing our PGM tailgate. We're getting ready for that on Saturday. We're bringing Auburn in here. So we live, breathe, Uh-oh. and love some football here. So. Uh, yeah, so we um, I, after I get off the phone with you, I got to go buy some hamburgers and hot dogs for my my golf management students because we're going to hang out and and we're going to take Auburn to the woodshed here. We hope so, but yeah, so uh, yeah, absolutely. So we oh man, it's exciting. I mean, you know, winning the national yeah. championship and all that it does for the university, and uh, so uh, right. it's a time to be a tiger here at Clemson. Uh, we're we're loving it. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, I gotta con- I gotta confess, I'm a war eagle, so I'm gonna be rooting, but I'm not gonna be rooting for your Tigers. I'm gonna be rooting for on it. I knew it. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, y'all have a great team. I have a great team, but you're coming to yeah. Death Valley, and I will tell you something. When you're on yeah, the 10, 15 yard line where the student section is, illegal procedure, illegal procedure. We'll be Owen, baby. I uh, know. So uh, come come on and bring it. So no, nah, it'll be good. Nah, it's great. Auburn's a great program. Yeah. So. I don't know. It's it's going to be a tough one. You guys are good, so we'll see what happens. I think we have a little edge at, at Old Tiger Town, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you'll have, you you got an edge, but yeah, it'll be a good game. Well, well, Richard, yeah. I want to thank you very much for coming on Golf Talk Live. Yeah. I, I enjoyed uh, the conversation, and you have uh, a lot of uh, great uh, thoughts and ideas. And you're running a, a phenomenal uh, golf management program there at Clemson, and mm-hmm. keep up the great work. No, and, well, and maybe what we'll do in it. Yeah, in, in addition mm-hmm. to, uh, like I said, I'd like to get Tiffany on the show. Um, maybe the next yeah. time I have you on, get some of your students, if they're available, uh, to come on as yeah. well and uh, and talk a little bit about uh, some of their experience uh, going through the program, uh, what they find difficult sure. maybe and, and challenging, and, and maybe what uh, uh, you know what they would like to see uh, happen in their careers mm-hmm. down the road. So um, we'll have a great okay. discussion there. But, Rich, uh, I want to thank you for coming on tonight on Golf Talk Live. Enjoyed it, and uh, I appreciate uh, all of your thoughts and input to the show. Okay. Take care, Ted. Thank you very much. All right. And go Tigers. Right. Have a good evening. <laughs> Which yeah. one, right? <laughs> That's right. Take care, That's buddy. right. Thank you. All right. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, uh, Richard Lucas, the director of the PGA Golf Management Program at Clemson University. And, uh, uh, a quick shout out to Clint Wright. Of course, he's been a, a regular guest here on uh, uh, Golf Talk Live, especially on the Coach's Corner panel, one of my favorites uh, among the uh, panelists. Uh, Clint, if you're listening to the show, thank you very much, my friend, for uh, for help setting this up. Uh, enjoyed uh, the discussion tonight with Richard, and uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully having him come back again in the in the near future. Uh, and uh, again, just one more final uh, thank you to uh, the guys on the panel, uh, Coach's Corner tonight, uh, Pete Buchanan and James Kyle. Thanks, guys, for doing a uh, terrific job. You handled the, uh, uh, the, the questions uh, like the true professionals that you are. So thank you uh, 
for all of your thoughts and input to the show. Uh, but I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't thank all of you, the listeners uh, worldwide, for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each and every week. Uh, I truly do have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teach professionals, authors, and uh, entrepreneurs that have stopped by the program. And it's really through their uh, participation and guest appearances that have helped make uh, Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, uh, also, a quick thank you to some of the sponsors and some of the supporters of the show, uh, Mr. Jonathan Laird. Uh, from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com is the website, and uh, you can learn more about the, the guide. Of course, it's a great uh, publication that's uh, made available uh, several times a year. It's not monthly. It's a quarterly uh, guide uh, and houses uh, many of the great courses from the southeastern part of the United States, from literally from Texas right over here to the northwest part of uh, Florida and uh, all points in between. Uh, so make sure you check out that. Uh, if you want to get a copy of the guide, you can reach out to Jonathan on southcoastgolfguide.com's website uh, and request a copy be sent to you if you're not in the area. Or if you're planning to come down to the area and maybe want to get uh, the heads up uh, before you get here, he'll be more than happy to uh, ship one out to you. Uh, or when you get down here, if uh, you want to see what some of the courses that maybe you haven't played before that are in the guide and some of the areas uh, that are in question, then uh, you can go to most of your local uh, golf courses in the area in in uh, uh, Alabama and Georgia. I'm sorry, not Georgia, uh, Florida, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, uh, I believe Louisiana, and as I said, over in parts of Texas. Um, you can uh, go into most of your golf shops there, uh, or uh, I believe uh, uh, Edwin Watts also carries. Uh, the guide as well, and many of the uh, here on the beach uh, in in uh, Northwest Florida, a lot of the uh, large um, condos, uh, facilities, and uh, hotels. Uh, some of them carry them as well, so you can get a copy there. Um, so thanks, Jonathan, for all of your continued support of the program. Meredith Kirk, of course, a great LPGA professional from out in South Carolina and Myrtle Beach area. Uh, MeredithKirk.com is her website. Go and check that out as well. She's a great teaching professional. If you're planning a trip to Myrtle Beach, uh, you might want to give uh, Meredith a, a ring and, and uh, she'll help tune up your game for you. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you very much for all of your help in spreading the word. Nikki, of course, is a great uh, golf professional as well and his lovely wife, Tiffany, have uh, been big supporters and, and uh, fans, if you will, of the show uh, for several years now and uh, they continue to help spread the word. So thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder, another good friend of mine, uh, the founder and owner of Ontic Golf, a great line of customized putters. Uh, Mr. Pinder has been on a guest on the show in the past and has also been a good uh, friend of mine as well for the last uh, few years and has been a big supporter. So go to ontecgolf.com and you can check out some of the great products that he has available there. Uh, Sean Kelly, of course, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com, uh, a great uh, social media site that he's developed um, off the premise, if you will, of uh, Linked Golfers, which is a large uh, golf group in, uh, of course, uh, linked, uh, LinkedIn, a uh, huge social media platform. Of course, it's the largest uh, golfing group there. I think well over 45,000 members uh, in uh, the Linked uh, uh, Golfers uh, community. And, of course, he's brought that out to his uh, own social media platform, linkedgolfers.com. So make sure you check that out, Mr. Sean Kelly. And last but not least, my good uh, friend from over in Ireland, uh, Doyle Golf Solutions, Mr. Peter Doyle. Thanks, Peter, for all of your uh, hard work as well and your continued uh, uh, endeavors to grow the game. And uh, Peter, of course, is a great teach professional and also club fitter as well. So if you're over in the Ireland area, uh, you might want to check out his website as well, Doyle Golf Solutions. Uh, thank you, Peter, for all your continued support. Uh, and as always, uh, again, thank you to all of my guests and all of the listeners out there. 
uh, I really do appreciate that. One final thought and comment before I close out uh, and give my final uh, goodbyes. Um, don't forget, folks, uh, for those of you in the Florida uh, area, um, make sure that you listen to uh, the uh, broadcasts and that that are happening with respect to Hurricane Irma. It is definitely going to be hitting us at some point, um, especially in the southern part of Florida in the next couple of days. So make sure that you, uh, if you haven't gotten out of there, that you make preparations and get out there as quickly as possible. We want to make sure you're all safe and sound. Uh, items can always be replaced human beings can. So uh, take care. And again, uh, feel free to reach out to some of your uh, more prominent organizations like the Red Cross. Go to redcross.org or reach out to your local government uh, community uh, organizations to find out other areas if you want to uh, donate some, some funds to help out some families or maybe you want to uh, pitch in and, and help out uh, some of the disaster relief, uh, particularly out in Texas right now. And obviously, I'm sure there's going to be some other uh, uh, things happening in Florida once uh, uh, Hurricane Irma uh, hits, uh, and we'll keep you posted on that as well. But uh, stay tuned, stay safe, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend.